I never bought a place in LA. Oh, really? I knew I wasn't going to stay. And once I had my daughter, I knew I wasn't going to raise her there. There really? was no fucking way. Why? Because the women out there are programmed to be weak. <laughs> I don't come from a weak society. What do you know? mean they're programmed to be they're weak? Pro- I go to Big Rami Yoga and he changed my world. Yeah, yeah. I can't hang out with you. Yeah, you don't want your <laughs> dad. Some- yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it was just the Harvey Weinstein shit. And just what I saw with the women out there, how they acted, I didn't want my daughter. I wanted my daughter to be tough. Yeah. I wanted to be Jersey tough. You know, when somebody comes over, well, you need a role. You need to come up with my hotel room. Go your mother. Yeah. That's what I wanted from her. Yeah. I didn't want to raise a victim as a woman in L.A. Mm. I did not want to raise a victim. We're not victims. You put yourself in that position. You knew he wanted his sucked mm. you know and then they want to attack you 10 years later you know they want to attack like mr big mr big was the king of new york behind tony soprano mm. when he was on that show yeah yeah any restaurant he walked in sex in the city mr big yeah, yeah, yeah mr yeah. big yeah. any yeah. restaurant he walked in nah, that's true the hostess yeah. is gonna yeah oh, it's mr big yeah what are you gonna say you, you want to stiff my nutsack i mean i don't know <laughs> <laughs> but, and then when you don't pay attention and 10 years later, when you're about to release a movie, yeah. that's when their memory comes back. Yeah. And you tried to finger them at the Soho Club one yeah. night. Come on, man. Come on. You know? Yeah. You put yeah. yourself in that position yeah. as a woman. Yeah. I was raised by a woman that ran with men. Like, she had a bookmaking operation. Yeah. And I seen her getting into arguments with men and go yourself and go yourself and I'd be scared for a minute. My mom had no victim in it. It's and fun, the women yeah. I grew up with had no victim in it. Yeah, but maybe they just didn't have the opportunity to. It's like maybe they were victimized at such a young age that they were like, yo, this is part of life. And maybe in LA, everything's so nice until you want a job in Hollywood and then all of a sudden you see reality. So you don't grow up in reality because everybody's coddling you and taking care of you. Where your mom saw some absolutely wild shit. Wild shit. Her mom saw some wild shit. I mean, to be a lady running numbers mm. is That's already crazy. crazy. Yeah. Well, let's get back to the beginning. Yeah. My mother went to a dance with her sister in Cuba. Okay. Her sister went outside. My, my mom couldn't find her. My mom went outside, and she was getting raped by some guy. So my mom broke the bottle and stabbed him and killed him. Her family sent her to the United States to hide the shame. They sent her up to the Bronx with some distant cousin. My mom met some Puerto Rican shame? woman. Yeah, because so it was she protected like, her sister. Because yeah. it's it's yeah. it's a different world sometimes for people. You know what you see as a victory. Like when I tell this story, some people go, "Well, she was a f-ing animal." No, what? She was protecting her sister, yeah, who I yeah. still talk to. She's like the queen of Cuba, my aunt Rosita. Really? So I still talk to her, and they, that was never forgotten. So she got thrown into this f-ing life. She hooked up with a Puerto Rican girl that was a numbers runner. And the next thing you know, they were opening up their own bank. My wife, my mom went okay. back to Cuba, okay. had me and my sister, yeah. gangster, with an alias, and came back here. Again. Again, as an alias, opened up a bar, a numbers operation, a restaurant, with a fucking alias. That's why when my mom died, I didn't get no social security. Hold on, so you're talking oh. about, are you with me, motherfuckers? This is 1950s. This she is 1940s. Leaves. Oh, okay. So 1940s, she leaves Cuba. Goes back to Cuba, what, 1961? So maybe. right after. Like, right after Fidel. Like a fucking animal. 
Nobody's going back yeah, to Cuba. Yeah, bro. Empty no, flight. No, because they had, listen, my mom's not in the fucking, my wife and I hired an attorney like 10 years ago. The only family I have that went through Ellis Island is my uncle. Everybody else came like fucking illegally. Illegally. Yeah. Like, yeah, everybody else came in. I didn't know what until this day. I can't figure it out. Do like, you I have was, like a social security card? I was born in Cuba, but yeah. I have a New York City birth certificate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you come legally, you're kind of a pussy, bro. I don't bro. really know what those motherfucking criminals were doing. My mom and my dad. I have no idea what the fuck they were running. Okay. I have a history about my dad being here also young and teaming up with young Jewish guys down in the village and they were doing some fucking dirty shit. Was it was like it raising the rent? Or? It was like heroin and shit. And my I saw pictures of my dad and he was as Cuban as could be, but he had like a fucking tattoo of a star on his arm. Whoa. And he <laughs> wore like a fucking Jewish star on his chest. <laughs> and he wore a beanie. That was his fucking angle. A little beanie. Ah, a like really a little, little beanie. <laughs> yeah, man. And I couldn't figure it out. I'm uncircumcised. I don't know. Culturally. I don't you know. might be Jewish. I'm uncircumcised. Yeah. So, but that's how they do it back then. Yeah, I still got a turtleneck. So, fuck <laughs> it. <laughs> so, you know, plus I saw, like, my friend's moms. Plus, I saw this different type of woman. Also, I go to L.A. and everything is very, like, Fifi, and I see women setting themselves up. Like they were setting themselves up for something to happen, and then they want to attack you because their world wasn't complete. And it happens with us also. We do the same fucking shit. Mm. How do we do it? I don't know. We fucking... (laughs) (laughs) I didn't think that's a point. I didn't think that that far, yeah. But no, it's just kind of weird. So I wanted my daughter... I didn't want her to be raised in like a fucking weird society. Yeah, man. I didn't you want like, her to see some real shit. Yeah, like my daughter, there was a you but could it, take off at her school because if you weren't if you booked a job. Oh, like, did she go to one of these like L.A. Yeah, kind of art schools yeah, or whatever? It was like the best grammar school we could find. We put her in. Yeah, Bert Kreischer's daughters went there. We all went there. Yeah. Today, I tell you, the school sucks dick. Yeah. It was the worst <laughs> school. My daughter hated it. She's like, they didn't even even have a building. You were outside, you know. And it was, uh, while I was there, I would take her and I would just see the attitudes of other people. Mm. And I didn't like it. It was too, we don't need this in the schools. Yeah. Mm. We don't need this little acty, fucking wacky shit mm-hmm. yeah. in the schools. The priority shouldn't be Hollywood. And yeah. when it comes to kids, man, look, I want my daughter to be a kid. I don't want her to grow up like I did. When I was 10, I was fucking, you know. Yeah. Running numbers, I'm in the city in the afternoons going to peep shows. Yeah. It's fun when you're 10. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but then yeah. when you grow up, you're like, that's why I had so many fucking, because I grew up too fast. I never enjoyed my- You didn't I, have a childhood at all. Yeah. Not really. Like, yeah. yeah, we had a childhood, but it wasn't what kids do today. Yeah. You know, we, we were already selling glue, the glue junkies on 148th Street. <laughs> you got to remember, dog. My first 10 Why years. Why couldn't they just go buy glue? Because they would, but the, the glue guys threw him out because he knew he was going to... Let's, let's get to the beginning of the story. Honey. Important tour information. Timely. Right now. If you're watching this or you're listening to this, 
Tickets just went on pre-sale for the Atlantic City show at Ocean Casino. That's going to be wild. The show's going to be July 29th. The pre-sale code is Andrew, theandrewshows.com. If you want a link. Uh, we're also adding uh, a few more cities. We got Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, we're going to come up to Nyack, New York. And um, we also got Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, the Wind Creek Event Center. So theandrewshows.com for those uh tickets uh i'm not sure exactly when bethlehem will be up but just keep following it at theandrewshows.com for that and go get those pre-sale tickets for atlantic city more dates to come thank you guys so much for coming out to gary indiana that was incredible um yeah it's just awesome to be back on the road seeing you guys out there man so i look forward to it peace on the 48th street was my godmother's house okay and i would go up there on like the weekends and there was a model place. When I came from Cuba, I didn't speak good English, so I was ashamed <laughs> to talk. Okay. So I would just get fucking models and build stupid fucking models of ships and Superman. Yeah. And every day I would go down to that model place, and there was always a skinny guy outside, you know, like, hey, hey, kid, are you going to go inside? Can you get me a tube of glue? And one day the dude said it to me. He goes, don't get that fucking guy glue. He snorts it. And I'm like, snort it? I don't even know what the fuck you're talking about. I'm, I'm like five or six. I, I don't hablo. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> so then I caught him one day. We were taking out. The, my, my godmother owned three buildings on 148th Street and Broadway. And I was helping to take the trash out. And I caught him in, behind the garbage can huffing. huffing. Yeah. But when I caught I, his name was Charlie. I go, Charlie. And he, he went like this. The bag stuck to his hand. He couldn't get rid of the bag because the glue <laughs> had been on his hand in the bag. So we started calling him Sticky Charlie. <laughs> right? So I figured he would get a check from the government every month because he got hit in the head with like a missile in Vietnam. Yeah. So then that government check, <laughs> this motherfucker would go to a glue place and buy a case of it yeah, yeah. and then spend all the money. And I right. still remember it was, he lived like on 148 between like Broadway and Amsterdam. Yeah. And we would walk to his house and he'd be having glue parties in the basement with a bunch of glue hoes. This is before crack came on the scene. There were glue hoes, right? <laughs> so I went to my mom one day and I'm, he had a hard time buying glue. He would always have a hard time. Let's say the glue was 25 cents in those days, just a tube. Yeah. Nobody would sell him glue. So I told my mom, let me borrow 20. I'm going to buy a case of glue and pimp this bitch out. So that's your first mark. That's my first mark. I started hitting. How old are you? You're five years old? Sticky Charlie, six, seven. Wow. So I'm selling glue to Sticky fucking Charlie. Yeah, yeah. And I'm hanging out. I'm living on 88th Street. Yeah. I'm and going what? Right there, right? 88 and Broadway. And Broadway, okay. PS, I lived on 205 West 88th Street. I went yeah. to PS 166. And fucking, that neighborhood was okay. Yeah. Like, there were, like, white kids that were okay, you know? Yeah. Like, I had, like, a Chinese girlfriend. Her father worked for Schultz. You know, the dude who fucking draws. Charles oh, Schultz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Charles yeah, Schultz. Yeah, 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 He was a Chinese. So we would go to movie theaters, and they closed the movies in New York City. Another guy in my building was the producer of Beatlemania. So we went to see Beatlemania's kids, like a rehearsal. It was a great neighborhood, but 148th Street was a way better fucking neighborhood. Yeah. They had Puerto Rican kids. Yeah, it was more Irish fun. kids. Yeah. yeah. Jewish kids, and they were all dirty. You know what I'm saying? Like, everybody was dirty. Nobody was clean. In fact, I used to dress down when I went up there. Yeah. Because I didn't want them feeling bad. I'm a West Side kid. Yeah. I got my own air conditioning in my room. Yeah. These guys live in eight to a room. Yeah. With a fucking fan on. With yeah. sheets on at night. So I would dress... Down, I would put holes in my pants. Wow. I would put like money in my back. 
But these kids were hustlers. They were already shaking down the neighborhood. Really? Like they had like two blocks that they would go into and say, listen, we want to take your garbage out, clean the windows, sweep. No, we break the fucking windows. Mm. These kids were already young and they were anywhere from six to 10. So, so okay, real quick, back up. You catch your first mark. Is your mother proud? My mom don't fucking know. I thought you're like, yo, give me 20 bucks. I needed to buy glue for models. Oh. And I'll pay you back. I didn't tell her I was oh. So where do you get it in your head? Like, I could take advantage of this situation? Just like because he's fucking fucked up. He's a boss. <laughs> would she be upset? Or you think she'd be like, okay. Nah, she would have giggled about yeah, it. Like, oh, yeah. Antonio, what the fuck are you doing? You can't be selling glue. Yeah. You know, but, but you talk about no childhood. No six-year-old is going to see a business opportunity at six years old. Yeah. No. That's a grown-ass thing. No child today. Yeah, okay. The other day, my daughter got in the car after kickboxing, and she goes, do you have an, uh, do I have an Uncle Julio? And I go, yeah, you got an Uncle Julio, Julio Rodriguez. And she goes, what time I meet him? And I go, you met him when you were like four up north. He owns a jiu-jitsu school in North Bergen. Okay. I go, remember we went up there? She's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I go, how is he your cousin? I go, well, our parents were bookies. Yeah. And me, Julio, and his brother, Gio, who they used to call Sandwich, because he was a fat kid. Like, when we were eight, <laughs> they used to just call him Sandwich. They just gave up on him. Like, your name is Sandwich. And I, I said, you know what? I'll let you know. And I just called Julio, and I go, talk to him. I go, Julio, tell her what we used to do on Saturdays when we were kids. And Julio's told her. We'd go to the Bronx. We were like eight. We'd go to the Bronx and run numbers, and they'd pay us 50 bucks for the day. And we would be on the street corners just taking numbers from people with a fucking adult watching us. Three, four kids, and then we'd have to run errands, go get coffee, cigarettes. But that's what we did. 50 they, a day back then is crazy money. 50 yeah. bucks yeah. on a Saturday? Yeah. Even now, it's You know how many money. fucking Bruce Lee movies I can go to and shit? <laughs> you know how much glue you can buy for 50 yeah. bucks? Yeah. I mean, you're, you're living. Who was doing Child security labor. when, like, who was collecting the money for your, for your mom and the other girl? If, you know, the guys didn't want to pay up. No, they always pay. It was like a dollar, you know, like two fifteen for a dollar, three ten for two dollars. The biggest bet you had was like maybe five dollars. So there's nobody they had to worry about not paying. No, because it was all a community. It was a neighborhood. Got you, got you, got and, you. And yeah, you know yeah. what? You're going to beat me for five. You're going to get a beating in those days for the five dollars. Not mm. like now. In those days, five dollars, you got kicked or something. Somebody threw a bottle at you or something. Yeah. And then you couldn't put any more bets in. So it was simpler. Mm. Oh, yeah, you were fucked. You still wanted to be part of this community. You still yeah, wanted to Yeah, you want to be part. That's part it of the... It was a bigger punishment Harlem, to be kicked out. In Harlem, the Bronx, in Brooklyn. Uh, those were... That's what keeps those people alive. But who if, would your mother go to to give the beatings? Or would she give the beatings herself? What do you mean? Like, like if somebody didn't want to pay. Oh, no, no, no. That, nobody really, like, in my world gave you a beat. But there was bookmakers that did give you a fucking beat, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like, to fight out, whatever it was. Like, they'd smack you, you know? Yeah. Shit like that. Nonsense. Can I ask you a question? Why did your mom go back to Cuba? I have no fucking idea. This is what I'm trying to say yeah. to you. I have no fucking idea. And as I got older, I never asked. And then one day she died. All right. So I never got to fucking ask her. These are all questions that I had afterward. Yeah. Like, my, I have a sister that died last year. I heard that. In Cuba. I, I, she stayed. Yeah. She didn't want to come. She wanted to finish out the school year. And was... And then Castro laid the hammer down. Uh, and there was no way to get her back. No way to get her back. And that's what really killed my mom, that she had a, She went through congressmen, got attorneys. Whoa. Everything she could to pull her out of there. They just wouldn't let her out of there. So. Did they think about doing the boat situation? 
they thought about a lot of things. But then as she got older, she didn't want to leave. Her life was there. Her uh, friends her life were there. Was there. Her and then there. I remember like 10 years ago, we, we connected and we would speak a lot. And I said to her one day, I go, listen, let's do this. Let me, uh, and this is my sister, but it kind of disappointed me. Because she yearned, like we always, our conversations. You ever have a conversation with somebody, somebody every time you get off the phone with them, you got to have a drink? Yeah, it's just, yeah. <laughs> you ever have yeah, those? Yeah, like, yeah, you're yeah, like, yeah. before I call this motherfucker, I know I'm going to get upset. I got to call them. Yeah. Because they're yeah. my family. But <laughs> yeah. I know they're going to say something. Get yep. worked up. But I'm going to need 22 fucking joints after this. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> And she would always say, well, you enjoyed my mother more than I did. And I'm like, and I'm like, like that's a, your fault. I had it for 16 yeah. fucking years. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I had it for, why are you putting me through this fucking right. dose? So one yeah. day I said, let's cut this shit. How about I fly you and your fucking husband to L.A., you meet my wife, my daughter, you see how we live, go to the comedy store, I'll take you to whatever the fuck you want to do, and then we'll hop on a plane and go to Jersey. I'll show you the bar, I'll show you where we lived, I'll show you to take you to the cemetery, and she goes, no. Mm. She goes, I'm too old. I go, you're fucking 62. Mm. Yeah. And then she's like, I just don't want to. My husband works for the government. I was like, that's it. So I kind of, I didn't lose contact with her after that. I still kept in touch with her. But for me, it was like, there's nothing I could do. I can't go there. Yeah. I have no passport, so I cannot fucking go there. Wait, you can't leave the country? No. Because you're a felon? Because of very other things. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Who the fuck knows? I never went back and got a. a I never went back and got a passport, really. But can well, you? Why now? can't you now? Because they say I got You're a warrant in Seattle. They say you got a what? A warrant in Seattle for what? Like it's a a misdemeanor warrant for not going to anger management class. Okay. You know, and they won't extradite <laughs> me. They won't extradite me, but. <laughs> You know, if I want to give myself the attorneys to call them and go, what do we need to do here? This happened in 1995. What is it that we need to do? But what happened? What did you get so angry about? What was this? In Seattle? Yeah, yeah. You know, think back to when you were like doing blue corners for fucking eight years. Okay. How frustrated you are. Oh, yeah. You know, you want to move ahead, and then you get a little bit of steam and everything. Seattle was one of those places that as soon as I landed at, it was a nightmare. Okay. 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 From the minute I landed in Seattle, okay. I got there on a Saturday at like 2 in the morning. Mm -hmm. By 11 in the morning, I already had police contact. <laughs> Why? What? Jaywalking. <laughs> now, where, from, where are you from? Yeah, New York. Anybody here from any other fucking place except Florida. New York? Texas. Florida okay. boy, Texas boy. New York, New York. India. Let me ask you a question. If yeah. I just pulled you out of here one day, and put you in a city, and all of a sudden you're like, why am I waiting at this fucking corner? There's no cars going by. Why are these fucking sheep waiting on this corner? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you get on the fucking thing, and some cop pulls up to you. Three bicycles came up to me. <laughs> and a guy on like a walkie-talkie. Do you know what you did? And I'm like, not really. I'm from New York City. We yeah. jaywalk all the fucking time. Yeah. You take your life into your own hands. Yeah. They had six cops there with walkie-talkies. Turn around, you jaywalk. I couldn't fucking believe it. Yeah. yeah. I go, is this for jaywalking? Oh, yeah. You can't jaywalk in the city limits of Seattle. It's 100. Okay. They gave me the ticket. I didn't think I was going to stay, but I ended up staying. <laughs> and one day I'm in the fuck. I get up in the morning. I'm smoking a joint. I hear boom, 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 boom. The fuck is this? Mr. Diaz, Seattle police, step out. You missed your court hearing. For fucking jaywalking? That's crazy. For fucking jaywalking? Yeah. 
So it was like a kiss of fucking then. Okay. And then I had a girlfriend. Yeah. I had a girlfriend for like six months. Chinese Great girl. girl. And one day she says to me, I don't know how to tell you this. When I was in college, I used to fuck this guy for money once a month. And he, he let me go and now he wants me back and I don't know what to do. And I'm like, I need this shit. And this is after a divorce. I just almost killed somebody in Boulder. This is after a ton of shit going on. This guy comes to Seattle. The guy who wants her back. Yeah, and comes to a club and we get into a fucking fist fight, like a push. Can I ask one question? Was the pussy crazy? The pussy was crazy. She's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And you know, we got into a fist fight. I didn't throw a swing or nothing, but she got into the fight to break us up. And I pushed her. And that's domestic violence. Oh my Even god. Even in a fucking bar, because it was something that comes from your house. So that became a ticket. It was no big deal. But then it like it got thrown out. It got thrown out. Like we don't have enough witnesses. It was a word against whatever. It's a fight. People are gonna get pushed. People are trying to break people up. Nobody's striking nobody. Yeah. Then I got arrested for fucking actually getting into a fight. Where is this? At the Underground, the Comedy Underground oh, in Seattle. Yeah, yeah. Great fucking club. Yeah, Ron yeah. Reed, 60, 50 fucking years old on a Friday night. I'm, I'm the feature act. Yeah. The MC is up yeah. and the fucking three kids come up to him. <clears throat> They're like, we don't like the show. And Ron Reed's a nice guy in the world. He goes, well, I'll give you your money back. I'm standing right there. I mean, he gives them the $10 back, whatever, $15 back. And the guy goes, you know what? Not only does the show suck, you suck too. And he just smacks Ron Reed. He just smacks this 50-year-old skinny guy that didn't say anything to him. Where are the bicycle cops now? The bi out. Well, the bicycle cops were coming close. <laughs> so I jump on the kids. I'm like, you can't smack this fucking... I'm 35. You can't smack a 50-year-old in front of me. Three of you motherfuckers that never done anything in your life. That's why you smacked a 50-year-old to be tough. So we started wrestling, and then the cops came. When the cop was pulling me back, I got so pissed at the kid that I pulled the gun out of the holsters. The cop <laughs> said, Dog, you know I'm out of my fucking bird. So, you know I'm out of my bird, so why the fuck are you fucking with me? So they don't it was three on one. He needed a little help. A Puerto, Rican, yeah. a Puerto Rican from New York City. He had my back, but one of the other cops saw it. Blah, blah, blah. I'm still on fucking pro. What did the Puerto Rican do? Did he just He loved me. The guy was cool. He was always upstairs. And now I'm on stage with my shirt ripped. <laughs> my hair off. Because you know we gotta get paid. I didn't come down here to fight people. I came down here to get my 50 bucks as a feature act. So they're like, Joey, are you okay to go up? Fuck yeah, my shirt's ripped. You still now, got the gun in your hand? No, nah, the gun. <laughs> I'm up on fucking stage and the place is surrounded by cops waiting for me to get off. Bike cops and shit. <laughs> and I'm up there fucking, what the fuck? Now, were you murdering? Huh? Were you murdering on stage? Yeah, I was doing okay, you know. And then I got off and they talked to me and they gave me another summons. But that summons went back to the fucking probation department. Hey. And now they're like, we want you to go to anger management. But in the meantime, I'm getting a deal from CBS. Wow. The guy from CBS is up there Thanksgiving to see his mom, sees me on stage. No. I'm perfect for a fucking pilot. We're flying you down to L.A. The process is in, and I got all this shit going on, and these, these motherfuckers in Seattle want to throw me under the jail. Then I got arrested for a stolen car. Where? But Seattle, possession of a stolen car. I was selling Hondas in Kirkland, 
and they give me a car to drive every night. And one day they did an inventory, the car was missing. I got arrested on a Friday night, I sat in there till Monday morning. Then the like drops, charges were dropped. So Seattle was just a bad energy place for me mm -hmm. at that time. Like it was just everything I did was wrong. And trust me, I was no fucking angel. I'm not gonna sit here and tell you, you know, yeah. I was living my life like an angel. I was out of my bird up there. So after the fuck, they did, I'm going to CBS had to step up and go to court and go like, we need this guy for this fucking no. pilot. Wow, yeah. Man. Dude, think about how different it is right now. Like if you have even the tiniest bit of drama around you, they would cancel an entire in minute, show. In a minute. They went to court this, did, uh, to dismiss really charges. The name of the thing was what? Bronx County and they needed me because I was a, they wanted somebody Spanish that didn't look Spanish. You know how that goes. Oh, yeah. They yeah, were still yeah, yeah. 98. The good ones. Yeah. They want a, they, <laughs> we want a Hindu, but we don't want a Hindu. Yeah, okay? yeah, yeah, so yeah. we'll hire a Mexican and put Scotch tape on his eyes. <laughs> like, like when they go to Benihana. You ever go to Benihana? <laughs> yeah, they get the There's no Japanese to, left. They're going to hit you with Carlos. He's throwing knives up in the air. <laughs> knives are stabbing people. The cartel is in yeah. there. He's cooking with a switchblade. Yeah, like, what are you even doing? Switchblade and shit. <laughs> Hilarious when you go to Benihana. Yeah. There's no more Japanese. Left. They don't yeah. want to work at Benihana. Oh, no. <laughs> Fucking hilarious. Bro, I, I've been like, you have this amazing book <laughs> that everybody got to check out. Tremendous. You know, The Life of a Comedy Savage is great. It's out right now. Go check it out. It has all these stories. There's one thing that I just don't understand about your life, and it is why you go to Colorado. So you, you, I understand why you go from Cuba to New Jersey. Mm -hmm. I understand why you go from New Jersey to New York. Mm -hmm. What brings you... To Colorado. Okay, 1983. I'm fucking a stone cold criminal. I got nothing going on for me. What is the day in the life? You wake up, wake stone up, cold criminal. Great, what, yeah, what wake up, fucking go to the deli, get two eggs on a fucking bun, and then look at the paper, see who's playing tonight, so you got a chance to gamble. Everything. Like we did everything. So I get up in the morning, go get two eggs, bacon, sunny side up, whatever. And while you're there, you're looking at the New York Times, the Daily News. You're getting lines for the fucking games. Then while you're sitting there, some guy comes in and says, hey, man, I'm going to need an ounce of Coke for Friday. Boom, I got my pigeon for the day. Let's get this motherfucker started. And then after you get him the ounce of Coke, somebody else comes to you and says, I robbed a truck today. Can you help me unload it or drive it to Pittsburgh? That type of shit. Like, it was just, I had no job. I had no parents. So there's nobody to disappoint. Nobody to disappoint. I had nothing to lose. So when Ooh. I would do things with my friends, i go, listen. If you get in trouble, run. I'll take the pinch because I got no family. Mm. I don't give a fuck. So everybody fuck. loves doing crimes with you. So yeah, because I'm, you know, I'm not gonna rat you out. Yeah, I got yeah. no reason to rat you out. So that's how what I became. Were you associated with like a crime family in no, New York? No, no. So it was I was just my, you and a couple I, of guys. I was in my the own crime family. I was on my own. <laughs> you know, my crime watch was get up in the morning and you're gonna steal things. You know, whatever they're gonna, you're gonna do. Then I got a job working for one of my mother's friends. In uh, on 118th and like third by the Marquetta by Spanish Harlem yeah, down Spanish there. Home, we used to do numbers there. And one day I was like, you know what? This is great. I'm getting $150 a day. I'm 20 years old, but what am I going to do when I'm 30? Mm. And this goes under, and now I got to go find a job. What am I going to tell somebody that I've been running numbers for the last 30 years? Mm. So I was at a bar one night, and a friend of mine came in from high school, and he was living in uh, Salt, Colorado at the time, which is a suburb of Aspen. And I'm like, dog, I got nothing going on here. I just tried to rob a bookie. I got attacked by the dog. I had, I was walking around with a man with a glove on. 
because I got when the cops were chasing me, I got my hand caught on the fence and it ripped the guts out. So I had a, I didn't go for stitches that night because I was on Valium. So I had to fucking put a, a toilet paper roll in here with a black glove, and that's how I walked around for like two months. So not only did I have problems, but now I had a black glove on, like Han from Enter the Dragon, like the fucking. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just like, you know what? I got nothing going on here. Let me give Colorado a try. When I was a kid, I loved ABC News, and they always said, you know, six o'clock Eastern, five o'clock Pacific, Mountain Time. Mount, that always yeah. fucked with me. Like, what the fuck is Mountain Time? <laughs> I want to go to the fucking mountains. What the fuck is mountain time? So when the opportunity came, I fucking ended up going to basalt with Jimmy, his brother George, and this guy named Mike Duffy. And we're still all tight. Wow. Mike Duffy's in Texas. Jimmy Burkle died. My brother and George is in L.A. We're still tight. Okay, so you're all going to Colorado. We're all going to Colorado. Are all you guys kind of involved in the streets? Is there, are you all you guys hustlers at this time? Talk. Mike Duffy was a savage like me. George Burkle had just graduated from Brown. His wow. classmate was Kennedy. Wow. All right. And his brother, Jimmy, my buddy who took me there, was another genius. He went to the Air Force Academy and got thrown out for knocking somebody out. So he had no life now. So I ended up going to Boulder. When I ended up going to Basalt, which is a, a subsidy of Aspen, like 20 miles down the road. Sure. And then after a while, we moved to Snowmass Village, and somebody told me, here I had no GED. I had just quit school my senior year, right? And somebody goes, go to Colorado Mountain College and take some classes. So I go, you know what? Fuck it. I go up there, and I took 12 credits, like uh, six credits my first semester. Then I would take six credits, six credits, six credits. Even though I was fucking stealing coke, doing coke, Skiing, I still took those classes. <laughs> I still oh, took those classes. Yeah. <laughs> Every criminal's dream. Some leisure activity. <laughs> okay, okay, so when you're going out there, are you like, are, we, are you looking at this city and you're going, these are going to be a bunch of easy licks. they never seen this coming, and we're going to absolutely. Not at all. I went out there to change my life. Different life, okay. But after six weeks, you're like, what am I doing? It's too easy. I'm, I'm installing fucking panel for eight bucks an hour. I can just sell an eight ball and make 200. Yeah. Or, and then I, I kept it under control for a long time. And then I got there like May, no, April of 83. And I kept my secret under control to like September. And then I had to let loose for football season. What do you mean? Then I just started robbing little businesses that would leave their doors open. Mm. <laughs> or something. Like, because you needed to fund the like game. When we came in here, right? <laughs> when I came in here, I was talking to this gentleman who I've met before, and we have a mutual friend yeah. named Shlomo. Yeah. In 85, I lived in fucking Aspen. Because I, I stayed in, in Basalt <laughs> till February of 84. And then I had to leave. And we'll get to that some other time. <laughs> and I came back here, which is a big mistake. Wait, wait, tell me why you had to leave. Why? I had to leave because I got out of control. From September, I started robbing little cheese stores and little jewelry stores. But by fucking uh, cheese and jewelry. No, no, no. I'm so sorry. Different. I was robbing like like liquor stores, like little things. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would go in and get like a grand and three bottles. I was a fucking demented. Yeah. I was a serial thief. But like yeah. stick up robbing or just... nah, just breaking in at night. And oh. then. All of a sudden, now I'm robbing a jewelry store with a friend of mine. Mm. 
And then I had a plan with another friend of mine, Steady Freddy, to rob the bank on Christmas Eve with snowmobiles. This guy was crazy, fire. too. So I had these people around me, <laughs> and I'm fire. like, wait a second. I'm right back to where the fuck I started from. Yeah. I got to get out of here. So I went back here, and this place was on fire. What, what year Because is this? now cocaine's everywhere. 84? Oh, yeah. Cocaine's yeah, 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 yeah. everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still remember crazy. going up to 148th Street <laughs> trying to get a bag of weed when I went to see my godmother. I'm going, brother, we ain't got no weed on these corners. There's no only fire. one thing Straight on these crack. corners. It was crack. Yeah, and 148th yeah. Street, for people who don't know, now you know, was who invented that fucking, there was a guy in the middle of that street there between Broadway and Audubon, or Amsterdam, whatever that fuck was, and he used to sell, the, he used to sell Budetai, sense or he had the master mix where he put them all together and when you he gave you a fucking punch card in 1984 and when you bought 10 bags on the street he gave you a bag for free <laughs> so how the fuck how like the jamba juice nah there's no jamba juice no no right no, no, no like jamba yeah, 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 the jamba juice is yeah. a puerto rican with a nice thing <laughs> you want protein suck my dick here juice coconut water so now i go back to aspen and I end up in Aspen in uh, maybe November of 85. Jimmy Burkle had a house that he was house-sitting now. And he goes, I got to leave. But you can take the house. Oh, Jesus. It's like an $8 million house. The guy only comes once a year. He's got 20 other houses. So sometimes he doesn't even come. He's got a Jeep you could drive. He's got all this shit. He goes, but you have to live over the garage. You can't live in the house. Fuck you. I'm in the house <laughs> with his robe on, slippers, Why? driving his Jeep Cherokee around town and shit. I dislocated the fucking cable so I could run up the miles. You know we're fucking animals. Yeah. You want animals? I'm an animal. I'm not a nice person. I'm a fucking animal. Okay? Why would your friends even suggest you for this? Because he didn't give a fuck. He knew we were all stealing. Great friends. Listen, I used to get, when I used to get jobs when I was a kid, my friends would go, oh, by the way, you got to steal. Because if you don't steal, then they know I was stealing. <laughs> so whether it, was, whether it was a bartending job, a lumber yard. Because they, yeah. yeah. they know he's going to take the fall yeah. for it. You got to steal more than me. You got to yeah. steal because yeah. they don't know I was stealing, so you got to steal. So now I'm in Aspen. I'm waiting to get this and move into this house. Yeah. And I'm living across the street from his deli, from his friend's deli. At the time, it was called the In-N-Out House. And they had like curry chicken, shit like that. Great sandwiches. And he had a friend that worked in there, Steve, who I'm still, we still fucking talk. 40 years later, we wow. still talk. So I kept, one night I'm sitting in front of the hotel, smoking a joint. I'm like, I wonder if you could break into Shlomo's. I wonder if you could just break. That's how I live my life. <laughs> Let me just see if I could break in there. And there was a little window on top of the door. Bro, I actually, and it's on Main Street. Cops are driving by. I fucking, some way or another, I wiggled my way into the window, went in there, took the 200 bucks, made a sandwich, and leave. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was into. I was retarded, dog. Wow. I'm three days retarded. <laughs> Do you remember what the sandwich was? Chicken curry. That's what I liked at the time. <laughs> With some fucking sprouts and shit. I'm right on all natural bread, whatever it's called. <laughs> okay, when do, when does it catch up? When do you get caught? When do Wait, you get sorry, locked real up quick? You time. talked about going back to New York. You said those are the worst 18 months of your life. Why? Just because it was too crazy and you're getting into crazy shit? This time between Colorado and then back to Colorado. I got to tell you something. You're going to be so mad at me. Can I piss real quick? Yeah, go, yeah. go, 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 go. All right, guys, we're going to take a break for a second because, listen, you could... You could, I hope you don't, but you could get in an accident. I genuinely hope you don't, okay? But you could get in an accident. 
And if you get in that accident and it is not your fault, you could get a lot of money, get a lot of money paid to you for that if you choose the right legal team to help you. Now, if you're gonna choose a legal team to help you in this horrible accent that hopefully you do not experience, but you could, you wanna make sure that you use the best legal team in the business that's gonna get you potentially the most amount of money. You could get the most money if you're with Morgan & Morgan. That is America's largest injury law firm. They have over 100 offices nationwide and more than 800 lawyers with over $15 billion recovered for clients. That's a B, 15 billion. Morgan & Morgan has a proven track record for fighting to get you full and fair compensation. And also, most importantly, you only pay them if you win. Think about that. You only pay them if you win, okay? That's gotta be the best deal in the business. You submit an injury claim with them, also it's the easiest thing in the world. It's like using an app more than it's like hiring a lawyer, okay? You literally can submit a claim in eight clicks or less without ever having to leave the couch. So if you're ever injured, Okay, you can check out Morgan & Morgan. Their fee is free unless they win. Think about that. For more information, go to forthepeople.com slash flagrant or dial pound law. That's pound 529 from your cell phone. That's F-O-R thepeople.com slash flagrant or pound law, pound 529 from your cell. Now let's get back to the show. Also, guys, the Bum Ass Cities Tour is still going strong. May 31st, I'm gonna be in Cleveland, Ohio. June 1st, Columbus, Ohio. June 14th, Buffalo, New York. June 15th, Rochester, New York. We're getting into the heart of the bum ass cities. These are all bum ass cities. You got nothing better to do. Come to the show. Get your tickets at akashsing.com. Also, July 13th, uh, Zany's Comedy Club. Tickets are already almost sold out. So if you want them, hurry up and buy them now. Get your tickets at akashsing.com. Now let's get back to the show. And we're back. You said the uh, Akash just asked the 18 months in New York were the craziest months. Well, let me put it this way. What happened? Christmas Day, 1984. Anybody remember? Oh, the cop got shot. Huh? The cop got shot in Queens? Was no. that? Oh. Scarface came out. And Christmas. Oh. <laughs> Scarface was a Christmas movie. Got released December 25th. <laughs> no, no, no. 1984. <laughs> Go ahead. Prop it up right now. <laughs> Prop it up. Fucking okay. people were running out of the fucking things over here yeah, the premiere. Yeah. Okay. Running out. Okay. They thought they were going to go in here and hear jingle bells. They heard 10 million fucks. When I landed was February 1st, guys. The movie bombed at the box office. Really? At the airport in Newark, when they were picking me up, my fucking gorilla friends, they were like, did you see Scarface yet? And I go, no. I heard about it. I saw the commercials in Aspen. And they go, we're going right now. And we went to Sea Caucus, Harmon Cove. How many movies they got? Like 18 over there? Yeah. They had four movie theaters, Scarface. It was three in the afternoon. All of them were sold out. Mm. We couldn't even sit together. Like the Every first time I saw Scarface, my friend sat somewhere else. The place was packed. And that's what I was walking into. It was a different city. It was everything had changed in this city. Right. It was, the city was on fucking fire. Mm -hmm. Like, if you guys are having fun now, you would have killed yourself in 83, 84. <laughs> this city was tremendous. Come on now, 75 so to 85, the Stones after they put Miss You out, that, that fucking album was New York City. So it just mm. picked fucking New York City up again. Mm. New York City was a fucking, I still remember coming over here at night. Like we would close the bars in Jersey at three, drive over, get a fucking case of beer and sit on the street and drink the snort coke on the hood of your car. 
nobody would say a word to you. You'd have a mirror out on the hood of the fucking car, yeah, and no motherfucker would say a word to you. So that's what I was walking into. That was yeah. the general attitude. Okay, so when was the city broke? Was it the 70s that New York was like falling it's, apart? This fucking city has been broke for 2,000 years, <laughs> but they still figure out a way to kill 1,000 people a year, right? <laughs> if you're broke, you got no bullets. How the fuck do all these people? This city's been broke since I was a goddamn kid, man. Okay. But it was like 82, 83, 84 to go out in the city. It was a different city. And then what did I do? I got myself a job bartending at the... Sheridan Center on 52nd and 7th mm -hmm. from one, from I think I went in at 4 in the afternoon to 1 in the morning. So now you're letting a 21-year-old kid out into Manhattan mm -hmm. in 1985 with $200 in his pocket Forget it. and a gram of blow. Whoa, whoa. And you're already in Times Square. And I'm already in the heart of New York City. And they're just telling you to go to Limelight, go to this bar, ask the mm. fucking Benny Blanco, go to this place. I mean, the city was on fucking fire, you know. There were concerts everywhere, like the way it is now, you know, just in a smaller scale, you know. It was just crazy. When, when you're coming up in the city, do you remember, like, you know how you look back and we hear about, like, the gangsters? What, who did Denzel play? What was his name? Uh, he was Bumpy's driver. Do, do you remember hearing about Bumpy at the time? I remember time? hearing about Bumpy as Did a kid. Did you ever like meet I never, Bumpy? No, no, no. So these people were protected? Frank Lucas. Frank oh, yeah, Frank Lucas, Frank Lucas is Bumpy. Like, do you remember hearing about these, and even some like the Italian mob guys? Do you see them like in the about, neighborhood ever? Do you see anybody coming around? I heard about Bumpy like when I was running numbers in and Harlem. Bumpy was Harlem, right? Harlem. I always okay. heard little stories about him and shit. I never saw him or anything like that. The gangsters, I knew about a guy named Fat Tony Salerno when I was a kid. Oh, shit. Because Tony. he was in Harlem, and that's where I would always be. So yeah, when we were running numbers in Harlem, they're like, make sure you don't go into that neighborhood. Right. You know, that's their turf over there. So that, I remember shit like that, but not, no. Nothing. No, yeah. nothing, not, nothing too fucking outrageous. So <clears throat> people were aware of them. But you weren't interacting with them. Yes. Because you see these movies that kind of romanticize their role in New York history. But I, I, you know, I was obviously too young at the time, but I'm like, how big were these guys? Like, it seemed like they ran the entire city. Mm. Well, like Brooklyn guys. I bet like a lot of Brooklyn guys, maybe 20 years younger than me, they've got a thousand fucking. In fact, I live around in a neighborhood where there's a lot of Staten Island people, mm. and they tell me a lot of stories about Sammy the Bull really? and the other mm. guys. Yeah. Because they were getting it They in. were right there. They were right there in Staten Island at the time. Yeah. You know, so it's, that's real interesting. But I never really saw anybody like that. Wow. And when, when you were walking around with cash and below, did you ever have a gun on you, like for protection? It was, uh, I always learned that when you put a gun on you, it's a magnet, guys. Mm. So before you put that fucking gun on your fucking thing thinking you're a cool guy, you better think about it's a magnet. You're going to think about how when you wear a gun, you're going to start hugging people and you're going to feel a gun. And you're going to go, whoa. You ever hug somebody and feel a gun? Mm -hmm. Takes your energy away mm. when you don't expect it. You know, if it's like a cop, yeah. But like somebody, you hug them and all of a sudden you feel like a fucking cannon under their arm. You're like, <laughs> okay, it changes the energy in the room. Mm. It kind of really does. I carried a gun because I was a stupid kid, not because I knew anything yeah. to do with it. And then as I got older, I got into guns and now... I don't want them around me really? because of that reason. Mm. Okay, you go out. When do you start getting locked up? When do you start doing some some time? 
I was always doing crazy shit, and I was getting away with a lot of crazy shit. So it came a time, I'm not stupid, I knew that something was going to happen yeah. eventually. Yeah. My prayer was that it didn't happen that would be so bad that would take me out of the game. So I didn't get involved in that high-level shit. Yeah. But you never know what you're doing, and that's what happened with me. So when I was here in 84, the safest thing for me to do was to rub drug dealers. To rob drug dealers. Oh, drug shit. dealers. Why was that the safest? Because they, they, they can't, can't they go can't to nobody. Cops. They can't, yeah, but they got their people. But in those days, it was a lot of yahoos thinking they were gangsters. Oh, so you're not See, robbing. when I came back yeah, in, yeah, yeah. when I was here in 82 and 83, people were selling coke. When I got here in 84, it was an abundance of coke. And it's like, I left here, and you guys were nice college guys. A bunch of guys like me trying to be Scarface in 84. Right. There's so, so much here, money in the Coke game that the Goofies came into the Coke game, and you start robbing the And goofies. it's glorified probably because of Scarface. And people yeah, who weren't yeah, prepared yeah, for that type of life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. They had to just sold the nickel bag on a corner. Mm. Cocaine's high stakes. Yeah. It's high stakes, you know, and an ounce or two. And it just, that became the norm for me and my friends. I had, like, two friends who had turned me on to it. I'm like, this ain't a bad fucking idea. You know, but at that time I was taking everything that wasn't stapled. <laughs> okay, like I always found the problem. Ooh, it's a beauty. Yeah. We, we get for this eighteen. Yeah, you know that because you're a junkie. Does that ever leave you? What do you mean? No, no, no. Yeah, like even to this time. day, do you like see nice shit and you're like nobody would even notice and I could mm. walk right out of here with that fucking lamp? It's crazy the shit that you notice, but now you can't do it. Right, you giggle, but you think about it. But fuck, you know, I would walk into a mall. I remember one time in Boulder, there was a CD player, like when CDs were brand new. Yeah. And I remember the guy was on display. I remember I unplugged it, put the quarter on it, even had the remote, and I just walked out of the mall with it. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody said booty. And that's when you go, what the fuck are people looking at? <laughs> I want to know what take. people are looking at. I yeah. want to know what people are looking at, because they're not paying attention. My thievery came from other people's mistakes. Mm. When it's I saw fault, a little really. stupidity in your game, I had to rob you. Yeah. <laughs> if you're going to be this stupid, we got to rob you. Yeah, we have to. We have to teach you a lesson. We have to teach you a lesson. Yeah, if you're going to yeah. be this fucking stupid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a guy in my neighborhood that didn't want to bring the coke into his house. So he'd hide the container under his car <laughs> on a hill. That genius. I would drive by and go, oh. There goes my coke fix for the day. So <laughs> he'd just go on his thing, take out two containers, and go back. And he would always go, somebody keeps stealing my coke. I'm going to find out who it is. all of it? No. You just take it? Yeah, a little bit. Bro. To go. Because he'll move it yeah. if you take it all. Yeah. <laughs> so siphon it all a little. <laughs> Nothing bothers me more when you accuse me of something and I didn't do it. Right. When I was a kid, my stepfather yeah. used to accuse me of shit. Like somebody stole the 50 cents off the thing. And I'd go, why would I take a fucking a 50 cent piece? Off a fucking thing. I got money. I walk at my mom's bar. I do the numbers. I got a paper out. I do all this shit. Why would I take 50 cents? He got to me so much that I would see where he would hide his bookmaking money. Okay? And he was a slick motherfucker, this dude. This dude would put rubber bands, a piece of his hair. He would do shit, put a marking on the top of the bill so he would know if the marking was on top. So I didn't want to steal from him. But I wanted to give him a fucking taste of what he put me through. So I would switch the money around. 
I would yeah. take. But it still got the hair in it. it I would. Still has the I wouldn't even open it. I would take the five thousand dollar bundle and switch it with the ten grand bundle, and then I would take the ten grand bundle and switch it with his attorney fund. He under the he's losing his and mind. I, and I would see him looking at the money and going. <laughs> and he would accuse me and my mother of moving it. Well, like, we didn't touch it. How why would we move your money? Why would we move yes. your fucking money? If I put my hand on it, I would thief. just... I'll steal yeah, it. Yeah, I would just steal it. Did you say I was a thief? So I would. I learned how to play with people's emotions. Did you ever tell him you were moving it around? No. So he died without knowing? Never. Never. <laughs> Never. I used to fucking go in the shower and stay in there for 30 minutes. And then wait for him to go in. This is our house. We own this house yeah. in Jersey. But you buy a house for a million dollars, you can take a $15 shower. 15-minute yeah. shower and the water's gone. Yeah. Why'd you pay a million dollars for it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're going to pay a million, I want to take a shower for three days if yeah, I want. Exactly. <laughs> so he would go in there. I would, I would test him. So in the mornings, he would yell at me, what the fuck did you do last night? Ah. I would go in the shower long, and then I knew he had to go in the shower. And when he was in the shower, I'd no, turn the hot water it. off. In my shower, I turned the hot water on in my shower, and you would hear him, Mama, Mama, somebody turned. I remember going in there, and he was, had shampoo in his hair. You know when you play with your hair and you make believe you're a devil? <laughs> like, you put your hair up. I went in there, I'm like, what's the problem? He, had, he goes, I can't see, there's no hot water. And fucking, he used to do that shit to him. I used to do everything I could at the end to trick him up. You like this guy or no? Yeah, I liked him a lot. We had our differences after my mother died. Yeah. I liked him because uh, I learned a lot from him. He was a fucking man's man. Hmm. He's a man's man. Like, this guy could write a book. Like, he was Cuban. And that, that pre-revolutionary mind frame is strong. It's really machismo. Hmm. And he was part of a thing called Abaquas. Cuba has a lot of different African religions hmm. that they've transformed over the years and turned it into Catholicism and stuff like that. But the religion that he was part of, it's a man's society. Number one rule is you can't eat pussy. You can't be in a room with a man that's gay. So if he walked in this room and one of your associates was gay, he'd have to automatically walk out of the room. <laughs> thousand fucking, thousand rules for that shit. But Sounds like why he's is, why, is, fuck the guy. why is not eating pussy at the top? I don't know. Because if you eat pussy, you'll eat anything, I guess. <laughs> so if you eat pussy, you'll suck a dick. So, <laughs> And now in Cuba, Albaquas are gay. No. Now they're allowed to be gay. Ooh. Wow. Was that some Castro shit? I don't know. As a way to emasculate like, the most macho version I, of Cuba. I don't know what they did, but somebody came over. Oh, Yoel Romero told me. Get out of I here. I showed we are one time. They still have a quad, and he goes, that, it, the culture died, you know? Oh, it's like it died back. So all those old things, now people move forward with them. Whoa. Do you, do you remember the first time uh, someone scared you? Was there like a man that just fucking terrified you? Yeah. Uh, Rudy the Haitian's father. There was a kid in my neighborhood on the 8th Street. His name was Rudy. He was Haitian. Yeah. So we just called him Rudy the Haitian. Okay. And me and his son were friends. And like in the third, second grade, we were friends. A little later, like fourth grade, because we moved out of there in 73. I was in the fifth grade. So towards later on, we would, you know, I, I got beat up at Central Park in the first grade. I got stitches in my head. So I begged my mother to put me in karate on 90th Street in West End with Mr. Orange there, the, the teacher up there. In fact, his son is one of Eddie Bravo's students today. Get out of here. Wow. Laranjo, yeah. So 
Once I started taking karate, I got a little bit more confidence to me. And me and Rudy started fighting. And Rudy would beat me up for like fucking three fights we had. He would beat me up. And then I got his number, and I started fucking him up. Mm. And one day I fucked Rudy up real bad, and his father came downstairs and held me while Rudy beat me up. Mm. Wow. And Rudy's father was a big fucking black Haitian dude. I mean, he was like six foot six. He was intimidating. And he grabbed me by the arm, and he went upstairs, and he took me to my mother's apartment. We lived in apartment 3A. And he knocked on the door. My mom was hungover. You know, it was three in the afternoon. She was getting ready to go to work. She was in no mood for this shit. And this motherfucker says to my mom, the next time your son hits my son, I'm going to hit him, and then I'm going to hit you. And my mom goes, really? And she turned right around and got the biggest fucking knife she had in that kitchen and chased him up the steps. No, 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 this no, motherfucker no, no, went no, up no, the no, steps. No, 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 and the no, cops no. came, and the Puerto Rican lady next to us, everybody accused my mom of having a knife. And the Puerto Rican lady said, nah, she got no knife. So the cops let us go. Wow. But a couple wow. weeks later, the landlord said, you guys got to move out. You guys got evicted. We got evicted. Because Rudy the Haitian's dad yeah. snitched? Yes. What a fucking pussy. Yeah. You, say, you, you yeah. let a kid get beat up. You say you're going to punch a woman, and then you call the cops? Let me call the cops. Wow. Fuck, man. But you were scared of him after that, though? I was always scared of him. Just He was a physically intimidating guy. You know, like when you saw him and you're, you're six or seven, but no, like my- What about in jail? What about as an adult? Was there any guy you were like, this guy's off his rocker, this guy? Yeah. Did you ever meet somebody that you felt was crazier than you? Yes. Yes, in a lot of situations. Listen, if somebody's crazier than you and you know they're deep, like when they're a criminal and you know they're out there, you got two choices. You could hang out and be a part of that or you could leave. I always tended to leave. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to take my life that deep, you know? When I came here in 85, was, I was fucked up. When I came in 84, I was fucked up. I ended up homeless. By the end of 84, I was living in a fucking park in a, in a rocket. You know those little rocket ships that kids have on the parks when you go to parks and you climb up? The playground? I used to live Which in a fucking- Which one? Huh? Which one? 88th Street Park. On in the North west Park side? In New Jersey. No, oh, okay. in Jersey. So I would go, I would stay out in the bar till three and then just crawl in there at night wow. and sleep. And then in the morning, walk out and- bust into one of my friends' house and take a shower or switch into clothing. I did that for like two months. So in January of 85, I got cleaned up and then I made a plan to go back to Colorado, get my life together for the eighth time. Yeah, I was one of those guys that I made plans to get my life together every six weeks, you know? <laughs> then I went out to Colorado in June of 85 and I was cool for like a year. I was cool. I had money, I was fucking working. I moved to- Where were you working? Footlocker. Uh, okay. But there's more to that story, too, because... You robbed the Footlocker. Oh, yeah. Come on. <laughs> no, I robbed the whole fucking mall because before I left... He didn't say he was good. He said he was cool. Before yeah. I left Jersey in 85, I was in the city a lot. I was working in the city as a, bar, a bartender, and I met these dudes that knew how to get IDs up in the Bronx, right? Okay. So I would go up there with them to buy IDs for friends of mine. And then one day the guy goes, listen, for an extra 500... We'll give you a credit card. Oh, forget it. An insurance it. card for your car. It's out of Are here, Are you bro. fucking kidding it's me? It's out of here. And I'm bro. like, bro, yeah. let's do it. Line it up. So the guy would tell me how they do it. Whenever the bank got, the card got made at the bank. Okay, this is how we stole credit cards. This is how fucking deep it was. Let's say they made a card for Andrew Schultz. They made two cards for Andrew Schultz. Yeah, they did. One went to Andrew and one went to me. 
So you wow. were the connector of the bank? Wow. With your name on the fucking card. On every card. And I knew everything you did. They would tell me. He just, because we had to wait for you to use the card first. Mm. So I would get the call from them. He just used it. Bang. Boom. Once we used the card and it got traced dirty in New York, we shipped it out to L.A. because the computer was too slow. <laughs> so the computer would break into court, dog. You want to deal with the king of swing or you want to deal with the king of swing? <laughs> the computer would go. So Monday, if the card got reported Tuesday, it wouldn't get to L.A. till Friday. So you mm. had Thursday. You had Wednesday, Thursday. So wow. Monday was the East. Tuesday was the Midwest. Wednesday was mountain time. <laughs> and Thursday was fucking California. So you had three days. And then, forget it. They wouldn't. You could. You, I was. I was considered under the level, under the limit thief, which is using a card under fifty dollars because they don't call it in. Mm. Uh. They would just put it down and go chick chick. So I was eating Chinese food every fucking day for lunch. You had a new credit card for years. Day. No, I would use the same one. That one could even be declined, and I would use it because they wouldn't run it. Oh, that's would, uh, when he goes. They used yeah, to print literally. out. Yeah, like what, were the, what was that paper? Yeah. And they had a little paper that they looked. The carbon paper. Carbon. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, they basically yeah. had carbon paper, and then you send it to the credit card company and it gets the money from the bank. So you had a whole fucking day before they even knew they you even charged. Knew. It oh, was crazy. But you couldn't go back to that same Chinese part once they found out. Oh, I went every day. This <laughs> <laughs> Bro. This I went every fucking day. <laughs> okay. Holy shit. So how long did the credit card thing go? Well, his name is Joey, and they're looking for a guy with a different credit card. You and know then, what I mean? I would, yeah. then when I got to Colorado, I was fine. And then it's like what you said. After like two months, I'm like. Yeah, you get itchy. I was in Boulder, which is a college town. Yeah. And I'm like, holy shit. This is like stealing. So I called my buddy, and I go, send me some cards out. Right? So he sent me some cards out, and there was one mall in Boulder. So I'm going in there every day and buying fucking chains and jackets. But at the same time, I'm applying for work like a fucking moron that I am. So I apply at this fucking footlocker, and they hire me. And after a month, I'm like the top salesman. I could do that shit with my arms closed. Mm -hmm. But a, a Chinese family came in one day to buy sneakers for the whole family, and I noticed they had a yellow envelope on the side of his wallet, and he fell. So I picked it up and went in the back. There was like three grand cash in there. Wow. I go, what do I do? Do I give it back to the family? I go, fuck no, I'm snorting coke tonight. You snooze, you lose. Bro, these people wouldn't leave it alone. That somebody robbed them. Mm. Nobody robbed them, they dropped it. And they called the cops. When the cops came in, the one cop looked at me and goes, somebody's been using a credit card in here, and you fit the description. I'm like, what? Uh-oh. What? And then he came back three days later. And he goes, is there something you want to tell me? And I'm like, no. And he came back like a week later. And he's like, listen, man, we're getting the sizes of the clothes together and everything. We're going to come and arrest you. And I'm like, bro, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. So this went on. This went on for about two weeks. And I said, fuck this. I'm going to San Francisco anyway. I want to go hang out with a buddy of mine in San Francisco. So I had met this girl. So I leave. I never get charged for the credit card, all right? <laughs> I go to San Francisco for six months. I go to Aspen. My, my house is ready. And then I live in Aspen, house-sitting for like a year. Yeah. And then in November of 86, I decide to go back to Boulder with my girlfriend. I'm living in Boulder. Everything is going great. And one day I get in, now, a year later, after the credit card thing, you on get the in, up and up? I get in, no, I was never on the up and up. I get involved in the kidnapping. 
Okay. Okay. You ready for this? Yeah. Warrant gets put out. They're looking for me. What's? Can you give us some details? Hold about on. The hold on. I turn. <laughs> I wait the three days. I turn myself in. Who was the cop interviewing me? Oh, oh shit. That's the credit card cop. But he was too stupid. He didn't remember me. Get the fuck really? out of here. He just kept looking at me weird. Like, <laughs> so now after I got arrested, I had to go to court and sit next to this motherfucker. And he would look at me and I kept saying, when is this motherfucker going to realize <laughs> I was wow. the one that used the fucking credit card? He never realized. And now wow. there was two arresting officers. One guy, Jimmy Collard, that's my dog. I still talk to him on Facebook. <laughs> but this other dude was one of those dudes that was like, you know, you have to go away. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. Yeah. Shut the fuck up. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> You know, you get paid what an hour. <laughs> go take your little water pistol and go do what you got to do. You know what I'm saying? You want to be a cop or you want to be a fucking jerk off? Yeah. This was a drug deal amongst drug dealers. Yeah. And you're making it seem like you yeah. did the worst thing. Shut yeah. the fuck up. Yeah. Everybody knew what was involved here. Yeah. Nobody got ripped off here. So your best bet. In fact, when I turned myself in, I was yelling at him. I'm like, you're arresting me to do your fuck." for doing your job and taking drugs off the street. I mean, I went in there with that ass. You know me, dog. I'm going to work it, you know. Like I'm, I'm a vigilante. Cuban with a Jew cup. I'm going to go in there and work it as much as I fucking can. So I'm like, how can you arrest me? I'm fucking, I'm taking drugs off the street yeah, for you yeah. motherfuckers. How dare you? Yeah. And they're like, Joey, come on, knock it off. We know what's so the you fuck. get arrested for robbing a drug dealer, but you kidnap someone during the robbery, so you get arrested for the kidnapping. No, I didn't know it was kidnapping. I thought kidnapping was I got to bring it to my house, send your uncle a note, and tell him I got your ear, <laughs> and give me 250000 That's what I thought kidnapping yeah. was. Okay, right? so what was this? See, the problem was I, there was no law and order. See, when law and order came on, now I know everything I could the do TV and can do. <laughs> right? I'm a law and order He's motherfucker, dumb, right? Yeah. Not a law and order SVU. I'm not a tree jumper. I'm a law and order. <laughs> law and order. I like to steal, yeah. do drugs, and fucking whatever. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't know what kidnapping was. So I get to Boulder. I'm trying to get my life together. I join up for fucking classes. At the University of Colorado. Okay. Not, I'm not at Colorado Mountain College no more. I'm at the University of Colorado. Yeah. With a GED. Let's go. No college, no high school diploma. They were like, yeah, we'll give you whatever you want. I'm paying for classes. They're not even doing no background checks. Yeah. And one day I'm working and I'm doing coke. Like fucking. And I started selling cars. I was making great money selling cars. Yeah. And fucking doing coke at night and taking two classes a week at night. And one day I'm at the Subaru place. I'm selling Subarus like a motherfucker. And one of the guys that got fired, he got fired for something. He came back. And I go, what, where the fuck you been? He goes, I got fired. And he had like a black eye. And I go, what's the black eye from? And he goes, ah, oh, it's a long story. I go, we got nothing but time. And he goes, listen to what happened. He goes, I got a DUI. I crashed against a tree. And when they brought me to the hospital, the pharmacy door was open. So he broke into the pharmacy. He took all the pills and cocaine. He jumped out a window and they caught him like two days later. Wow. So now he's going to do time. So he goes, I'm staying with this guy and he's got two kilos of coke. I'm going to steal it from him and so you can help me sell it. And then I'm going to move to Arizona so I don't have to do this time. And I'm like, fuck, I'm living in Boulder. It's fun. I got a nice girlfriend. You know, I got a dog. I got a job. But 
my friends are in New York City. Getting it in. Getting it on. Yeah. They're coming to the city on the weekends. They're going to hunt the mountain on the weekends to ski and snort. They were telling me they threw a bag of coke out on a Friday, and when they came back, all the deer were dead on Sunday. <laughs> you know, it was like fucking, I'm out here with these fucking yokels. Yeah, yeah. Trying yeah, to yeah. be a fucking American. Yeah. And my friends are lighting their balls on fire. Yeah, yeah. Their parents are calling me. Have you heard from my son? I'm like, no. My friend's parents were calling me in Colorado going, I haven't seen Anthony in a week. Yes. He went out to get a pack of cigarettes. <laughs> I'm like, dog, they're on the mountain, get it on. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? This girl is great, but she's not going to be my wife. I'm going to help this dude do it. As a matter of fact, I'm not even going to help him. I'm going to rob him. Yeah. You're going to rob the guy who asked you? Wow. Yeah. You're a fucking lunatic, Because Joey. he could okay. There was no way he could do nothing. Okay. So I called my crazy friend here, and he couldn't make it out. He was fucking unloading planes somewhere in Colombia. I called, called one of my crazy friends here. So I had to go to a guy that I worked with at an auto body shop before I sold cars. He was like a biker. You know, he had everything. This is why I don't like modern times. He had everything. He had, the, tat he had the tattoo, the sunglasses, the Harley bicycle, yeah. anything to be cool. The pit bull, yeah. tinted windows, the loud stereo. He yeah. had everything yeah. to be cool. Yeah. And I'm like, what am I going to do? I got, I got to use somebody. I can't take this guy down by myself. So I asked him, and he had a problem. He, was, he used to go to strip clubs. He was in love with a stripper, hmm. right? But I mean, in love with a stripper. And she left her husband, but she wouldn't. She, he, she danced at a nude club. But she couldn't sleep with my friend Steve until she got a divorce. Mm -hmm. So she wanted him to pay 20 grand for the divorce. Uh, so this guy wanted the pussy. So that was his motivation. In fact, she moved into his house and he had to sleep on the couch oh, while she slept on the bed by herself. Wow. She had no intention of fucking this retard. She just <laughs> wanted that divorce. She money. just wanted that divorce. Oh money. my God. She's like, I'm a Catholic. I can't sleep with a. Oh, a man, if I'm still married, he's like, well, you dance naked every night yeah. and put your asshole on people's faces. What's the fucking difference, you know? Wow. So that was our connection. So this is the guy that you're basically bringing on to go rob this dude. Yeah. And you already know he's a goofy. I knew it was a goofy, but in my cocaine mind, just what I had going on, I wanted to believe this was going to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then comes D-Day. In fact, I just got a root canal on Saturday on the tooth that the dentist fixed that morning before I kidnapped him because I had a dental appointment <laughs> that morning. The dentist even said, I go, last time I worked on this tooth was November 18th, 87. He's like, that's interesting. How did you remember that? I go, that's the day I kidnapped the guy. He just kept <laughs> drilling. <laughs> so I went to the dentist. I remember calling him and going, we'll be over there with the money, you know, to buy the two kilos from you. I, he was going to be my partner. He was going to, I was a middleman. He was going to buy the Coke from uh, Kent, all right? So I was the middleman. I was going to bring him over there. They were going to sample it. And then we're going to go back to Steve's house. And Steve was going to give him the money. And we we're going to rob the Coke. We weren't, we weren't going to rob, give him any money. We we're going to put him on a bus to Arizona. Give him like 10 grand and get the fuck out. Oh, you were going to give him a couple bucks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were, it wasn't going to be a complete robbery with kicking and all that stuff. It was just going to be a simple thing. Bella wasn't a heavy, I wasn't a heavy, and Steve wasn't a heavy. Steve got so greedy, he fucked it up. At the intro, he pulled out the guns. Wow. 
Okay, so real quick, break down the setup. You, Steve, is which one is the hell's angel? Before we do a setup, yeah. Can I slip and go? Pee pee, again? Go. All right, guys, just take a break for a second because uh, you got to replace your posters. Look at any poster that's on your wall. It's ripped, torn, tattered. Looks horrible. Childish. It's it's it is childish. It is absolutely childish. And you know what? You need to grow the fuck up. And Displate is gonna help you do that. Okay. Displate is a one-of-a-kind metal poster designed to capture your unique passions. It's sturdy, magnet-mounted, and it lasts a lifetime. Displate allows you to customize, collect, and rearrange them at will. Displate also has both branded and artistic. Artwork. They have over 1 million designs available, including official designs from brands like Marvel, DC, and the NBA, plenty of video games, tons of movies and music, you name it, they have it. I mean, look, you need that new Guardians of the Galaxy poster. Obviously, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is absolutely fantastic. Maybe you want to put the motherfucking boxing Go Floyd Mayweather on your wall. All right, this plate created a unique, easy, safe magnet mounting system that only takes 20 seconds. No need for drilling. On your walls, nothing. You're renting an apartment, you don't have to worry about repainting and losing your fucking deposit and all these other things. Yeah, just put the display posters up. Display delivers its product worldwide in only four to five business days. It's a perfect alternative for standard paper posters that often get damaged and it doesn't leave marks on the wall. So go to display.com slash flagrant or use the code flagrant at the checkout to get 20% off for one to two displates or 30% off for three and more displates. Now let's get back to the show. Okay, set this robbery up for us. You have the Hells Angels. I didn't Angels. know how much time I had, so I didn't want to get into something that oh, was- you got all the time. Yeah, okay. Got all day, baby. Okay, so you have, who's the Hells Angel? What's his name? His name was Steve. Okay, he so wasn't the Steve. Hells Angels. He was like he a fucking- wannabe. Yeah. Okay, and then who's the, the Mark? Kent. Kent, okay. So you and Steve go to meet up with Kent and then break it down. So the idea so, okay, is- okay, I go to the dentist's office. This is the whole story. I go to the dentist's office. I go home, I call Kent. It was supposed to go down at one o'clock. It's about 11 o'clock now. I call Kent and he tells me, uh, come pick me up. So I go to his house. And the weird thing was when I went to his house, I noticed it was across the street from the halfway house. There was a halfway house in Bold. And I looked at it, I go, that's fucking weird. He lives across the street from the halfway house. So I went upstairs. He's like, you want to do a line of coke before we go? I go, yeah. He goes, we'll go over there. I'll give him a sample. He'll give me the money, and then I'll come back here and get the coke, and we'll all disperse. You give him back the coke, and well, that's it. Okay. So when I'm there, he shows me a grinder. He was, he was doing coke out of a grinder. The grinder was filled with coke, and there was an ounce of coke in a baggie in the drawer. And he also showed me where there was two grand. He goes, I got two grand here. Okay, so, and I go, where's the Coke? And he goes, in the ceiling. It was one of those drop ceilings mm -hmm. that you slide up. Okay, so when I get there, he shows me everything. And we do a couple lines. Then I get in the car and I drive him to where we're, like a seven minute drive. We get to the house. As soon as we walk in, this motherfucker pulls his guns out. The deal was, let's get everything going. When you go back to get the coke, that's when you rob us both. Yeah. That's when I pull it You're together. innocent. Even yeah. if you're with him, yeah. I'm going to rob you. I'm going to smack you. Yeah. Just so he'll never say, well, yeah. how did he know? Yeah. Fuck, he fucking smacked me. Yeah. You know, so I thought I was. So when I walked in, they pulled guns on both of us. And then he pulls the gun and goes, Joey, tie him up. And I'm like, <laughs> you stupid <laughs> motherfucker. 
So I'm like, what the fuck? So now we got this kid, and the kid's like, Joey, what the fuck? I put him in the room. I fucking go out and talk to him. I go, go over there. I didn't tell him what a Coke was. I told him that there was shit over there. I wanted to see what he was going to come back with. Sure enough, he played into it. He came back. He said there was only 200 bucks in an eight ball. But his mother was a big-time realtor, and we were in one of her houses. Hold on. Did everybody just get that? Wow. You know there's 2,000. He tells the, what is the guy's name, Steve? Steve. Steve to go it, about the, he doesn't tell him where the Coke is, the 2,000 and then the ounce. He goes, ah, there was only 200. So he's trying to get over on you, that so, son of a bitch. So uh, now, when he comes back, goes, there, was only, there was only 200, maybe like an eight ball. So I go, really? So he's like, what are we going to do? Where is it? And I, 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 I don't know, but I'll tell you what. I go, I got to go. I go, you just tried to fuck with me. No, I didn't. I'm telling you, there was I'm, uh, there was more. So we got into a little argument. He goes to me, if you leave, I'm going to shoot you. And I knew this guy was going to shoot me. I just knew. I go, I've never been wrong with that kind of stuff about judging a man like that. I, yeah. I, I, was I mean, around, if you're wrong once, I was died. around savages. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know if this guy's going to shoot not me a or savage, not. Yeah. And as I walk to the car, he don't shoot me. And I go outside, and I got a gun under the fucking my tire. That I had from my Aspen days. I had a beautiful nine millimeter. I wasn't giving up. So, right there, I was like, you know what, man? I've always wanted to shoot a motherfucker in the leg. <laughs> like, I've always wanted to shoot a motherfucker in the leg. Like, just to see mm. their reaction and the whole thing. And I was like, usually out. And I was ready to shoot. <laughs> and I go, you know what, man? I'm just going to get the fuck out of here. Mm. And I got in the car and I went back to Vela's apartment. And I fucking kicked the door down. Vela's? The kid that was the mark. Oh, Steve. Steve was the thief. Kent. 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 Sorry, Kent. So Vela's the mark. So I said, fuck this. I'm going to go back and get the Coke. He said he didn't get it. I knew exactly where the Coke was. So I ran back, fucking walked past the doorman. The doorman's like, hey, hey. I go, I was just here. I basically went upstairs with no keys, and I kicked that fucking door down Mm -hmm. like a gorilla. And then I jumped up, and I ripped that fucking ceiling down. Because it was a drop ceiling, so you could just tear it down. I fucking ripped it down, heart's beating, my hands are bleeding from fucking pulling it down, and uh, two bundles landed in the middle, wrapped with Colombian newspaper. I took those motherfuckers, and I ran the fuck out of there, and across from the halfway house, there was a newspaper thing where you put a quarter in, open it, and take the newspaper out. Guys, look underneath. Whenever you see those, look underneath. In the 80s, that's how we used to drop off Coke. There's a bottom compartment in there <laughs> that you never look at. So I put the kilos of Coke there because I thought the cops were on me. And I called my brother. He went over there, picked up the kilos, and took them to Aspen. Wow. I kept like maybe an ounce for the night because I wanted to party, see what the fuck was going on. <laughs> I was, then that night, 8 o'clock, they knock on my door. Tidwell knocks on my door again. He's got Bell in the trunk of a car. And he goes, what am I going to do with him? I go, I don't know. Figure it the fuck out. Not my problem anymore. You tried to rob me. Get the fuck out of here. And he's like, I need that 20000 for my girlfriend. She needs a divorce. And I'm like, I don't know what the fuck to tell you. He goes, I got another guy. There's a guy that's got a pound of hash. Let's go rob him. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. I went. I went to a bar. had a couple drinks. Snorted some coke and went home. Not thinking anything. And the next morning, I'm sleeping on the couch. And the guy knocks on my door and he goes, bro, the dealership is surrounded by cops. They're coming over here to get you. Get the fuck out of here. One of the lock guys. And I got my, I, I didn't have a car then. 
I went across the street and called my girlfriend and said, listen, the cops are looking for me. Blah, 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 blah. And I, as I'm across the fucking street, I'm looking at the cops breaking into my house. Oh, wow. So I'm looking at this shit. Wow. I'm like, wow. And after about 20 minutes, I go, holy shit, I forgot my weed. <laughs> right? I'm like, God damn it. I got the weed. I forgot my fucking weed. <laughs> and now they only left the cop outside in front of my house to watch. So I went back. No. And I went to the backyard to get, because I had some chocolate tie weed that was sent to me from here. My friends used to <laughs> send me crazy. chocolate tie weed. So while the cops are in your fucking apartment. There's only one cop outside now. He's just waiting for me to you come back. Sneak into your into fucking my house to get the, the fucking ounce of coke to get the, the, the my the, little the reefer. Yep. You, did you get it? Fuck yeah! You and the out? pipe and my lighter. <laughs> the lighter. Fuck yeah! I had it on a little bag. You know, you you have one of those little purple bags. You got your weed, your lighter. <laughs> okay. And then I hit out at my uh, girlfriend's for two days, and I thought about it. I fucked with them a little bit. The, the story had come out in the paper that this guy had gotten kidnapped and shit, but they were still looking for another suspect on the loose they didn't give my name so i waited for two days i'll never forget i went to the movie i went to the video store and, and there were brand new movies lethal weapon <laughs> was a new release and there was above the law with <laughs> <laughs> and i watched them i'm like you know what man they got america's most wanted i'm never gonna get away with this so now it was like it was thursday and i go i need more weed so I, I got to go in a boulder anyway and get weed. I might as well call these cops and see what they're looking for me for. So I went down to boulder. I got my bag of weed. I got my two videos. And there was a Kmart and an Albertsons. And they were across the street from one another. So I called boulder police from Albertsons, or from Kmart. And I'm like, hey, this is Jose Diaz. You guys are looking for me. And they're like, we got to put you on hold. They were tracing me. So I kept hanging up on them. Mm. And they're like going, why are you hanging up? I go, because I don't want to be put on hold. This is Joe Diaz. I want to talk to the detective in charge of my case. They're like, we're going to put you on hold. Ten seconds, I'd hang up. Then finally, the detective answered. And he goes, we just want to talk to you. Where are you? And I go, I'm at Albertsons. But I was really at Kmart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he goes, we just want to talk to you. I go, okay, I'll be at Albertsons. I hung up the phone and I went back to my car. I'm sitting there rolling the joint. And I see a SWAT truck come in God with damn, other Boulder dog. police. And I'm like, they're not looking to talk to me. <laughs> they're looking to fucking kill me. And I'm like, fuck this. I told my girlfriend what I saw. She goes, just turn yourself in. I'm like, fuck. That means I'm going to miss the wedding. <laughs> and she goes, what wedding? I go, Don Johnson is marrying Sheena Easton tonight. <laughs> I'm Miami Vice. I've been waiting all year for this fucking wedding. I hate weddings. But Don Johnson's getting married to Sheena Easton. I got to catch this tonight. Oh, my God. And listen, guys, in my retarded mind, this is how fucked up drugs are. In my retarded mind, I, I remember having her drop me off at the police station next morning and me going to her, here's 30 bucks, get Chinese food, I'll be home. I should be out of here by an hour. <clears throat> I'm just going to walk in there and tell these cops whatever, some fucking story, and I'll be home in an hour. And I'll never forget walking upstairs. They told me to ring a buzzer. Dad, who is it? Jose Diaz. They go, buzz me. And they, I went in. Dog, when I went in, fucking I was bum-rushed. All I heard was, I had cops all over me. Get on the floor, get on the floor, get on the floor. You're being charged with kidnapping one, kidnapping two, aggravated robbery, accessory to a felony, second-degree burglary, and fucking crime of violence. My bail was $50,000 fucking dollars. I'm like, what? 
are you motherfuckers talking? And that's when I'm like, I'm doing your job. You fucking degenerates, what the fuck? So they talked to me for a while. They asked me questions. I didn't say shit. I'm like, listen, man, he was selling something. I don't know what happened, blah, 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 blah. But then I ended up, let me tell you what really happened. That fucking idiot Who? got caught, Steve, got caught with Kent in the trunk. He got caught driving without his headlights on. What an idiot. Wow. That's how I got pulled. That's how I ended up in this. But I learned a lesson. What a tangled web we weave hmm. when we tangle to deceive. That, this was that all over again. This was this. It just didn't stop. You know, and then I turned myself in. I had this fucking bail. They, they thought I, and then a fucking Cuban kid was going to the University of Colorado and his car was found splattered with blood. And they looked in his police records, they looked in his records, and they realized the kid was going to Miami on the weekends and selling coke. They found his car with no, they never found his body again, but his car was blood splattered. So they were thinking it was me. There was oh, another guy. Shit. So anybody who got tied into a drug rip, now uh, they were looking at me. There was another dude that was snorting coke one night and he, the cops knocked on his door and he jumped off the fucking balcony and broke, broke both his legs. Somebody went to rob him. He thought it was the cops where it was really two thieves. So now they were questioning me about that shit. It was a fucking nightmare. Like one minute I was fucking, you know, just in trouble for one thing. Now they're looking at they're me for fucking 30 things. And when I went to the bail hearing, they're like, he's part of a Cuban crime culture. And I'm like, yeah. oh, fuck. I thought I was fucking dead, Andrew Schultz. <laughs> Why didn't you go to Aspen? Why'd you turn yourself in? Because you had the two keys. Bro, you're going to run the rest of your fucking life. Mm, you don't want to run. And he didn't think the charges would be that bad because he didn't know he kidnapped You're going to run the rest of your fucking life. Do you have any idea? I read an article when I was a kid about a guy who bit a girl at a wedding, at a dance. Yeah. Her and her boyfriend tried to beat him up, and he bit the girl, and something happened. Oh this guy lived a fucking, like, that was the only, he never even got a jaywalking ticket mm. for 40 years. He went, he got a heart attack. He got taken to the hospital. They fingerprinted him. <laughs> and they, they figured him. that was the guy from fucking his childhood. And now the guy's got to go to jail when he's 50, when he's lived an exemplary life, mm -hmm. you know, except that mistake he made. I didn't want that to happen. Yeah, you, know, you didn't want to feel chased your whole life. Mm. I was going to turn myself in and just deal with it. Yeah. Now it's to get out of there and then I'll make the decision. Mm. Just turn yourself in and then see what they're looking, what they're holding on to, and then you make your decision. So... I sat there for a few weeks. I had my girlfriend. Her parents hated me, but he was a straight-up gangster, the dude. What, the pops? The fa her father was a lieutenant colonel yeah. in the fucking army and shit, career guy, had ties to the CIA. Didn't really like me, but when I got arrested, my girlfriend told him what happened. And he goes, you know what? I'll go talk to him. Mm. And he came in for a guy I never thought liked me. We ended up having a pretty good conversation. He asked me a few questions. And did, were you honest with him about what happened? Very honest, because I learned early on, if you do something and somebody's looking to help you, I tell people this all the time. I love yeah. you to death, Andrew. Yeah, yeah, I'll yeah. do anything for you. And if you guys don't understand what I mean by that, I'll do anything for you. Hmm. But do me a fucking favor. When you tell me who did it to you, make sure you don't miss a detail. Yeah, because you're bringing me into this web now. Just don't miss a fucking detail. Tell me the truth. I don't give a fuck what you did, but if we're right here, we're going to go back in there. That's the type of person I am. I, I don't care. Just don't miss. I don't care if you murder somebody. So you don't opened up completely to the pops. To the then, pops. And he was asking me questions, and he was like, I'm going to get you out of here.
So then he wrote some letters, and within like a week, I got out. My bail went from 50000 to like 3000 <laughs> And then, you know, I started talking to him more and more, and I started getting my life together little by little, and I got a job at Hertz as a manager trainee. Fucking like 40 grand a year to start. Some guy I knew hooked me up with it, and the guy liked me so much, he called me into his office one day, and he goes, listen, I know what you're going through, so I put a call in for you. I got you a job in Hertz in Panama. They'll change your name, they'll give you an ID, and you could be a manager down there. Whoa. Wow. And I was like, fucking Panama with Noriega? Yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, again, then we're back in the same fucking boat. Yeah. Yeah. You know, someday you're gonna do well, and this is gonna come back to bite you in the fucking ass, you know? Yeah. And I just did everything I could to stay out of there. I got into the University of Colorado. Mm. I mean, I got into the university. Yeah. Like not, like continuing ed. Like they yeah. told me I had too many credits that I needed to transfer. So I, I man, it's sad because uh, I joined, I tried to get in there as Joey Diaz, but they're like, no can do. But Jose Diaz. if your name was Jose Diaz, we got we'll some fuck, room. We'll fucking uh, put feathers in your asshole every time. Because <laughs> <laughs> we ain't got enough brothers and Cubans up in this motherfucker. Yeah. That's why if you got a kid that needs to go to college yeah. and you ain't got the money, just have him marry a Mexican and send him to the University of Montana. <laughs> mucho, mucho pesos. You understand me? <laughs> and whatever happened with Kent, the guy that got, uh, got tied up? Kent, the guy that got tied up, I'm in close contact with him now. Really? Yeah, I apologized to him on the podcast. Oh, wow. About 15 years. No, for years I kept calling him. Like I got his, listen, when I got out of jail and I was in the halfway house one night, I went to a bar to get some Coke and Kent was there. And he goes, what are you doing out? And I go, Kent, come on, bro. You got anything? And he goes, yeah. What do you need? And I go, grab a Coke. And as he's weighing it in the bathroom, he looks at me and goes, the last time I sold you coke, you kidnapped me. <laughs> We're talking. I'm like, Kent, I'm sorry. I was having a bad day. And we talked. <laughs> I, I, bought, I bought him a fucking drink at the bar. We chit-chatted. Everything was beautiful. And then I disappeared. I got into comedy or whatever. Ten years later, he's on Facebook. So yeah, I started hitting him on Facebook. And I'm like, hey, man, how you doing? You know, fuck you. I realized what you did. You're a scumbag. This went on. For like two years. And then I said, fuck it, I'm not going to hit him a lot. I'm just going to hit him on the anniversary. Of, of the arrest? Of the, of the kidnapping. Of the so every November 18th, I would go, Kent, what's going on? Go fuck yourself. Then I would go on Twitter and go, 22 years ago today, I kidnapped Kent Vela. He still won't talk to me. This went on for about three years. <laughs> and then one time he gave me his number. And I called him and he's like, I don't know if I should talk to you, blah, blah, blah. Go, Kent, it was a long time ago, blah, blah. And I got him to agree to call into the podcast, and I apologized to him. And then after that, I kept like, Kent, I'm going to be in Tempe. Come to the show. Fuck you. you well, know, he maybe. moved to Arizona. He was serious about that. He was serious. So about three times into it. He I, actually showed up. He showed up. I went to Tucson, though. He lives in Tucson. Ah. So I went to Tucson. He came to the show. I posted it. You can find it. After 33 years, <laughs> I kidnapped this guy 33 years ago. Now we're friends. I send him money from time to time. He had problems with his mom. Yeah. I try to take care of him with his mom. Now he's moving up to uh, New Mexico, Taos, New Mexico. Oh, yeah. So, oh. What happened to Steve and what happened to the two keys? The two keys I sold. Steve ended up ratting me out. He Obviously. ended up getting, because when he got arrested, he was on, pro, on parole. 
and he got sentenced to 10 years. Because hmm. yeah, he had the body in the yeah, trunk. Yeah. I got sentenced to four. Hmm. I was really supposed to get sentenced to six, but I wrote so many letters. My friends from grammar school, Jersey, got all these people to write letters. And again, if you ever get in trouble, if a judge has political aspirations, each of us know 250 people. When you die, God forbid, they're going to get you 250 mass cards. Each of us know 250 people. So if you ever get in trouble, write a letter to the judge because that's 250 votes. Mm. So the more letters you write that judge, the more votes mean. Do you follow me? That's why whenever I got in trouble, I wrote a letter to the judge. When I got out of prison, I wrote a letter to that judge every month. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. I'm detailing cars. I'm still broke. I'm still an idiot, (laughs) but I'm giving it a try. You know, I just got into comedy. I wrote them letters. I got into stand-up comedy. I suck, but I'm going to try it. And then I went up in front of him 10 years later for something else. And he fucking went in my direction because I kept in touch with him. He knew the truth. Built a relationship. I built a relationship with the guy. So whenever you get in trouble, anything like that, you got to write letters to a judge and explain your situation and tell them what you're feeling. And most importantly, tell them what your intentions are with life. Even though I was snorting coke and I was robbing, well, when I got out of prison, I wasn't robbing at that. You know, I already knew what level of criminal I wanted to be at. Mm -hmm. For me to stay out and do comedy, I could still be a little criminal from time to time, but there's levels. Yeah. Like I could I could go into a, a Kmart, walk in and take like a, a fucking, those mats for your car. Yeah. Right? And you could just pick them up, walk them right to the return and go, I just, my mother got me these, but I got a pair. And without a receipt, they give you $100 plus tax. Wow. Like Bro, you was, could always do that shit. That's uh, how I got that's that was the I, hustle I used to see. That's the, what I did uh, on the road. When I was on the road, yeah. you don't have money for gas. That's you that, walk yeah. into a Kmart, pick up a fucking fishing rod, and go, hi. My mother bought me this, but I can't use it. You have a receipt? <laughs> Not really. So well, you know how Kmart has the super long receipts? CVS has them as well. Yes. So if there's ever a trash this is how you know crackheads are brilliant. So there was a trash can right outside the Kmart on Astor Place in Lafayette Street in New York. And the crackheads would wait for people to leave the Kmart with that long-ass receipt, and they'd throw it right in the garbage right when they leave. And they would take that receipt, and they'd look at the itemized receipt, hmm. and they'd walk right back in that fucking Kmart and pick up every single item and return every single item and get the cash for it. It was like they were asking to get robbed. I saw that on the HBO doc. HBO that, did a good that, job of it. It was wow. that. It, it, it was, was that came place one too. Yeah. Cool. yeah. I, I remember yeah. one day. It was like the 29th. I needed 400 bucks for rent money. Yeah. 400 dollars. That's all I paid my rent in Boulder. I was a starving comic. Yeah. That's it. 1995, 96 maybe. And I see some guy pushing out lumber. I'm like, oh, it was a lawnmower. Okay. And one of those trucks. Like he had some guy pushing him. He's like, what are you going to mow with this? And sure enough, I'm hungry. I need money. And I see the receipt just fly off the box. Got him. I go, holy shit. Got him. I run in to the Boulder Kmart. And I go for the thing. And I go, excuse me, sir, where's the uh, C695? And he goes, we're all sold out. And I was, I'm like, fuck. Yeah. Oop, there's another one in Longmont, Colorado. <laughs> I got my car, went out to Longmont, and there it was. Picked it up, put the receipt on it. Guy gave me 400 plus tax. I had my rent and a gram of blow. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I remember one Christmas, I went into fucking, what's that? The toy chain that went on. Toys R Us. Toys R Us. They used to give you 
Jeffrey money. Jeffrey money, yeah. I would walk in there. <laughs> yeah. I would walk in there and take one thing. I remember I ended up leaving there with a bicycle for my daughter <laughs> one time. I, I ended up, I returned like a game of Monopoly. Yeah. And it kept going back and returning. And I had so many credits, I'd like, give me a bicycle. And they gave me a bicycle. My daughter had a bicycle at the fucking house. <laughs> when you were in prison, what crew did you roll with? Like, what was your car? There was really no crews at that time. You had the brothers, you had... The biggest problem I had was navigating around the Bloods and the Crips mm -hmm. because I worked in the kitchen. Now, isn't it easier to navigate that when you, when you have a kitchen job? In 1987, I didn't even know the Blood and the Crip were. Uh, so I guess we didn't have prison. anything back east. And no. The Bloods and the Crips are just starting just in like started. the late 70s. So yeah, when yeah, yeah. I got into the way you go, the first day you get there, the council's like, Have you ever had hepatitis B? What the fuck? Hmm. I'm like, No. And it's like, Obviously. Fine. You work in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. So they put me in the kitchen. The fucking dude was big, Mr. Yarbrough, big brother, fucking out of the Navy, Korean Navy guy. And he's like, Mr. Diaz, hmm. you look Italian, so I'm going to make you a baker. Have you ever baked before? And I'm like, no, nah, I don't fucking even cook. So I went in there the next morning at four in the morning, and he's like, you put this much on the thing, and then they expand. I'm like, why are you being so cheap, brother? These motherfuckers are living in cells. Give them a big fucking cinnamon muffin. I mean, I didn't know. He's like, you can't make them big. I didn't know why. So I made them big, and they became fucking manhole covers. The oven almost blew up. There was a fire. So he fired me. He made me the stock clerk, which is the best job there. I didn't even know What's it. stock clerk? It's a stock clerk. You order the food for the kitchen, uh, and you have your own facility to hide shit for the other invicts mm. because it's so far away, they don't bring the dogs to sniff that mm. shit. And I had a driver's license. So you see those guys that pick papers up mm -hmm. on the side of the road? I would bring them lunch in the cart so I could always go... You're going to be here tomorrow? Yeah, I could always go. Andrew Schultz, have your girlfriend drop off an ounce of Coke at garbage stop number 54. You're going to pick it up and put it in the garbage. I'm going to come by to give you lunch. You're going to give it to me. Mm -hmm. They're not going to search me to go back into the facility. Mm -hmm. You have no idea how so wide So you're getting open. Coke into the... To they the had everything. I wasn't snorting Coke at all. No, no, but getting it in, though. Yeah, they had Coke in there, heroin. The only thing I was doing in there was acid because they couldn't test for it. Uh, acid in prison? <laughs> yeah, you get nice blotter acid in prison. I get fucked up every Sunday night, me and some other guys, we'd sit outside and talk shit and crack jokes they couldn't figure out. And they'd automatically give you a, a piss test the next day. Clean? Because you're out and you're clean. Whoa. Did you like prison in, in the social aspect? I loved it. Yeah, I heard Because you're king, right? Loved like, it. Yeah. Everybody loves you. You've got these it. amazing stories. So I'm, in the, I'm, in the, I'm in the kitchen, and that's the hardest part I had, was the Crips and the Bloods. Okay. Because in the kitchen, they kind of got along. Under, but outside the kitchen, they had to maintain their fucking status. And, right. I, and I really dug that. But it was, I was friends with Crips. My best friend was a Crip yeah. in there. Yeah. I loved this motherfucker. Yeah. This guy had seven girlfriends, each of them with a badass six-figure car. Mm. This guy was in charge of bringing cocaine from California to Colorado for the Crips. This is at this time, this is what he did. What's the chick that went to the Olympics? Joyner in the yeah, 80s? Jackie Joyner Kersey. Her brother was in there too. Wow. He was a Crip or something because he was bringing in Coke from, yeah. that's when the Crips were bringing in from LA, yeah. California, all those little things. So that was the hardest adjustment I had. You had your bikers, like five little raggedy bikers. <laughs> you, had, you had your white supremacists, a couple mm -hmm. of them. It would only add 104 people. Okay. Right. So, so everybody kind of knows everybody's small. So you didn't have that. Mm. You had one Italian, 
<laughs> and he was the cook. Of course. And I partnered up with him to start a bookmaking operation because he couldn't sell lottery tickets to the blacks, the Spanish, uh, but I could. Uh, I knew how to talk to the brothers and I knew how to talk to the Mexicans. So he made me his partner. And every night he would make nachos. He'd get like an iron and put it melted in cheese and fucking get chips and shit. Fucking different world. So you were having, <laughs> it, weirdly, the time weirdly. of your life. Yes, the first listen. Like I got sentenced August 15th. Yeah. The system was a year behind. What that what, meant was. What does that mean? The yeah. system was a year behind that time. What it meant was you're not getting processed to go to your prison until mm -hmm. fucking December or January. Oh, you're in jail still. Yeah. So you're going to sit in ah. county jail. This is why I got off, okay? This is a lot of people don't know. So I got sentenced to second degree burglary. It cost me. I had to pay a lot of money because I had to hire an investigator to prove there was no violence in my past because hmm. they wanted to charge me with a violent offense. So that means if I got nine years for kidnapping, I would do all nine years. Oh, yeah. And I was not going to do that. Yeah. So we had to hire an investigator to go back to Jersey and fucking any violence as a kid. Like, yeah, we got into a fist fight with a pizza guy. Shit like that, but nothing extreme that showed this. So my attorney, that was his most important thing was to get... The violent crime changed to a non-violent crime because mm -hmm. that makes a complete big and difference. And he did it. That might be the greatest miracle in the history the, of the I still talk to that motherfucker too. You need to. He's in Colorado Springs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And now he's got a kid that wants to get into the entertainment business. So he's like, what do we need to do? Time to speed yeah. this up. So hey, man, <laughs> hey, back's a bitch. So, <laughs> so when I got sentenced, I got sentenced to 48 months, right? But I spent a month in county. Mm -hmm. Time served. So that's two months. Oh, you get double time served for county? Counties, two days. <laughs> At that time, it was two for one. So I did a month. So that meant I did two months. So now it's 22 months I got in there, right? Until you hit prison, your final destination, it's two for one. Wow. Then I so the longer you're staying in county, the shorter amount of time you're going to have to spend in prison. In I guess prison. this is the whole idea is expediting your expediting time in county because counties are paying the fucking ass. A pain in the ass, okay. but not bad because again, I got sentenced on a Monday, and by Wednesday morning I was taken out. They told me they were going to send me to like Oklahoma. They sent me to fucking Summit County Jail, guys. We wore our own clothes and we played handball outside. <laughs> and at nine o'clock, the jail, the, the fucking guards would go to the Safeway for you and buy you chips, sodas, and we'd watch movies all night on TV. So it was, it was low key and everybody key, was chill. Key, and my buddy in there was a guy from the Bronx, Italian <laughs> dude, fucking, as soon as I get there, the guy fucking hugged me, I'll do anything for you, just talk to me, brother, just talk to me, I haven't been around people from the East Coast, this guy loved me. Hmm. So I became friends with him and we were fucking, we, I didn't drink or anything in there, but we would always like fucking gamble, a lot of gambling in there, okay. you know? I was in Summit County for maybe two weeks. That's a month. Boom. Uh, so you're shaving time off. Shaving I'm time. shaving time off. So now I had three months already. All of a sudden, one morning, they go, you're going to fucking Department of Corrections. So first you go to DOC. It's like, uh, you go to diagnostic. That's where you're there for two weeks, and they find out what's wrong with you. Hmm. They check everything, your ass, yeah. your mind. They ask you creepy questions. They do a battery of tests. And then from what, how you do on that, is where you're decided where your destination is. Mm. So and you're I, trying to do better on that. 
Yes. Because if you look sane, you look competent, you look smart, you're going to get the country club. Mm -hmm. And if you look like an absolute savage fuck up. But still, I didn't have the numbers. I knew that my numbers were low because before you get sentenced, you have to take a thing, uh, like a little test, like a 10-question test, nothing hard. Yeah. Did you have a job before you got arrested? Did you have a license before you got arrested? Were you working at the time of your arrest? And all these positive things count in your favor. Mm. So after I got sentenced, before I went to, after I went through diagnostic, now they're going to send you to your destination. I had two destinations. I could either go to Rifle, Colorado, and that's where I wanted to go because in the winter, they let you be a ski instructor, not a ski instructor, but a dude on the hill checking people's badges. Unbelievable. And in the summer, you could be a lifeguard (laughs) at the pool. The job is the pool. So I'm like, what are you fuck? And they let you go to the movies on Saturday night. Unbelievable. Golden was where I went, Camp George West. Hmm. I wanted to go to Golden because it was closer to my house, but they didn't have all the shit Rifle had. Yeah, you want to ski and go hang by the pool. But the only thing they had, they let you out for 20 minutes a day to go to the store. No. There was a bodega right around the corner. So you got 20 minutes of freedom. 20 minutes just to run to the store and run back. So I started, come on, dog. You gotta Everybody get else couldn't figure it out. I started ordering Chinese food. To the, to the bodega? To the bodega. There was a Chinese restaurant next to it. So I would call the order in because all the other idiots would actually go to the bodega and I go, did you get Chinese food? And they go, no, we don't have time. I'm like, you gotta call the order in so when you get there. So I would call the order in, pick up Chinese food, pick up a couple haagen some ice creams and shit. <laughs> so you were a fucking superhero to a these superhero. guys. Hmm. You're coming back with ice cream. A superhero. Chinese food. <laughs> oh, my God. And at the time, there was AIDS was big, 87. Yeah. So they had a brand spanking new AIDS facility. It had eight beds. They only had two people in AIDS. I'm talking about banging TVs, refrigerators, microwaves, couches, solar heating. So we were in there at night with the AIDS dudes, <laughs> the two AIDS dudes. <laughs> Fucking making sandwiches and shit. And you knew at the time that you couldn't catch it? I didn't know, but take a chance. Columbus did. I know if you took it in the ass. <laughs> I know if you took it in the ass or shot yourself intravenously, but I wasn't taking the ass and I wasn't gonna shoot anything intravenously. You just sharing hogging. So unless you could yeah, they had their own fork, you know. <laughs> whatever. You know, I'm not there to judge nobody. They were very nice. In fact, when I got out of there, I had to do volunteer work, and I did it all for AIDS. Really? Because of what I met and how I, you know, as Americans, they hit you with AIDS like COVID. So you didn't want to touch nobody with yeah. AIDS. You didn't want to be in the room with AIDS. Yeah. Once you're in prison and you got to, they weren't allowed to go into the daily area, like to eat. Right. They had their own area back there. Yeah. But they were lonely back there. Yeah, can imagine. And everybody else was treating them like shit. Yeah. And I'm like, let's go back there and talk to these fucking dudes. And it was just pristine. It was tremendous. We yeah. did Super Bowl parties. <laughs> every, every Sunday night, we watched America's Most Wanted and fucking uh, love and marriage. Yeah. 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 You know, we'd eat, we'd fucking get Kentucky Fried Chicken. The kid from the Crips, his girlfriends would bring him Nutter Butters mm. and Popeye's Chicken. We would eat Popeye's chicken like a motherfucker on Sunday nights, <laughs> fucking wow. watching all this shit. So, okay, so when do you start realizing <laughs> I can be an entertainer? Here, right? Right? Like, I, I'm just like, when does your brain start adjusting to the reality that you can maybe have a, a legit job? I didn't know anything about this job. I didn't know anything about this job. I, when I was a kid, I, put on, I was at my buddy's house, and he put on a Richard Pryor album. Okay, so Pryor's your first. 
Pry was the first thing I ever heard. Yeah. The, the, the wino meets Dracula. Okay. That is the most beautiful bit in the world when you're a eight-year-old kid, you're Cuban, and you listen to that <laughs> because you're learning the language. You just came from a place where you can't talk like this. Mm -hmm. Okay, and I'm listening to this motherfucker say some shit yeah. that is brilliant. And he's talking about coke, and he's talking about... Dracula, wash your neck. You're a filthy little motherfucker, too. Yeah. And I'm like, what the fuck? Then I was Bicentennial. How? You can't say the last name of it. And I bought the other one that you can't say the name of. Mm. Richard Pryor had like three albums you can't fucking name. <laughs> and when I show them to people, I got to show the album. Like, Sorry, can't say it. And I mimicked them. I knew the words. I knew everything. When I go to a party, I would do Richard Pryor. Wow. In fact, I would bring my albums to other kids' houses that were 12 and 11 there's a kid, Ray Canella, today. Every time I see him at Rudy's and Cliffside, he looks at me and he goes, do you know my mother's still mad at you for bringing that Richard Pryor album to the house in the eighth grade? I did everything with Richard Pryor. I love Richard Pryor, but I did. I came from a fucking North Bergen, New Jersey. I'm a Cuban kid. I didn't know what went on with it. And then after I got in trouble, I'm like, they really don't want. Mm. But just before I got sentenced, just before I went to prison, just before I committed that, that kidnapping, like two days before that, there was a guy at that Subaru dealer I did not get along with. We had had words one day. We just did not get along. And one night I was sitting there, and he came over to me and goes, hey, man, his name was Grant Fusmith. I still remember this motherfucker. And he came up to me and he goes, hey, man, I know you don't like me, but I got to tell you something. I go, what's that? He goes, Ask me what I did before I worked here as a car dealer. I go, I don't know. You know, when you're, when you're 20, some old guy's talking yeah, to you. Like, I don't know. Go ahead, tell me. Yeah. And he goes, I was an entertainment director at a casino in Las Vegas. I don't know which one, but it was a big one at the time. Sands, I don't know. And he just drove and considered doing stand-up comedy. Just because he saw you busting balls, he saw you telling stories. Get the fuck out of my face, stand-up comedy. Take a fucking hike. I snort coke. Go away. That's I my mean, at hobby. the time, that was yeah. part like, of, what you, part of what stand-up comedians did. Yeah. Yeah. You said you liked Brian, right? <laughs> what, yeah. are you, what are you fucking talking about, stand-up comedy? Yeah. What are you talking about? Go away. Yeah. I barely chew and walk at the same time, <laughs> you know? <laughs> then when I went to, when I got locked up to Camp George West, Thursday night was movie night. All right. They didn't have what we have now. They had the fucking reel-to-reel. -reel. Mm. <laughs> All right. <laughs> There's a projector going? Yeah, like a... <laughs> okay, yeah. And then it breaks and, yeah. you know, come on, motherfucker. It was yeah. our brother that was orange. Yeah. You know those brothers? They got freckles. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> they call oh, them yeah. red. red bones. Red, red bones, bones. Yeah. 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 Red, fix that fucking thing. Yeah. Fuck you, motherfuckers. Yeah. And he would have to get up and fix the projector. Wow. And in the meantime, the guys would say, because in the kitchens, I would, I would tell the guys, listen, don't eat that food. I would tell them, don't eat, like, chip, chip meat on the cream, all those type of weird feels. I would check the meat in. So I knew if the meat was good or not. That's uh, why I went to the bodega mm -hmm. to get the fucking meat and everything else for me and my buddies. So when they would come in, I'd go, don't do it! <laughs> and they'd all be yelling, all right, let's get out. Cuba wow. told us. So all the brothers would go, Cuba told us not to eat that shit. So I'd be yelling at them, don't do it! Don't do it! And then just... Fucking around, I had a friend in the kitchen. His name was Etchy, and he was like a, a blood. And one day he came up to me. He's like, hey, bro, you got to help me out. I'm like, what's up? He goes, my freezers are slipping. 
freeze is fucking up. You got to help me out. I'm like, what are you talking about? What the fuck is a freeze? He goes, a freeze. When you don't practice it, people could tell the difference in your voice. Mm-hmm. When you don't practice saying freeze, when you're going to rob somebody. <laughs> so this motherfucker, this motherfucker <laughs> will come into the dining area and go, freeze. <laughs> he will go, don't report me. I, I just want to try it. He goes, my brother got out of jail, didn't practice his freezes, he got locked up a week later. Because <laughs> his, his freezes didn't have no confidence behind him. I mean, bro, I'm like, this is a funny fucking situation here. I mean, that's a bit. It's yeah. a bit, it's a bit. Freeze, so I'm yeah. like, I would, don't do it, don't do it. And this went on, and I became like the social commentary for the kitchen, mm. right? So now, afterward, they think like, Cuba, get up there and say some words. Oh, so they're asking you, they're yeah. pushing you to do it. They're going to get up there. Because, at, listen, at that time, we weren't as sensitive as we are today. Of course, of course. You could goof on brothers. We all goofed on red. Yeah. You know, everybody goofed on red. Yeah. Everybody goofed on the bikers. Everybody goofed on yeah. a retard that was, you know, yeah. you just goofed. Yeah. So retard. I didn't have many material. He's like a white supremacist. Yeah. I didn't have any material written. It's not like I wrote material. Yeah, you just wrote something. I would go up there and just do fucking, uh, you know, uh, fucking whatever. Yeah. Look at this motherfucker with these fucking shoes on. What, your mother didn't get you better shoes? Yeah. What yeah. the fuck are you laughing about, cocksucker? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's it, you know. And, and one day the, the guy in the library was from Buffalo. He killed his wife and the mailman. The mailman was fucking his wife, so he killed the wife and his mailman. They gave him like 30 fucking shits. But the guy was a genius. And I'll never forget, he came up to me one day and he goes, hey, man, here's a notebook so you can write your jokes in. And I go, notebook? I got no fucking notebook. I ain't got no, you know. He goes, you don't write before you go up there? And I go, no. And this motherfucker looked at me and goes, listen, I'm going to get out of here in about two years. If I get out and you're not doing stand-up, I'm going to hunt you down and kill you. (laughs) (laughs) What a motivational speech. And I got out of prison, and I was a pussy. It took me two years to get on stage after I got out, you know. Yeah. Kept giving myself excuses. And one day I just got up on stage. Where? Where was it? Comedy Works. What made you do it? It was in Denver. Comedy Works. when, When you were doing the shows in the prison... Was everybody there? Like blood, Crips, whites, every so everybody just decided, hey, we're gonna put away the beef and we're gonna enjoy this and we're gonna laugh at each other. There was no sensitivity, nothing. Nothing. That's the fucking beauty of it, man. That was fucking amazing. Isn't Nobody that- was sensitive anymore. We were just human beings back then. And they have every reason to be sensitive. This every- dude's cousin killed this guy's cousin. These yeah, guys beefed and, and over I, some crazy. There was shit. two brother-in-laws in there that there were a cousin and a nephew that were like at war with each other. But they Bro, sat down. I did time with the Barclays. The Barclays were a Colorado family, this white family, the nicest people in the world. They got into the cocaine business by mistake, Mm. and they became billionaires. (laughs) Like, they they didn't even know how to launder the money. Mm. They just kept buying trucks for their landscaping business. They had every type of truck. And then the cops busted them, and they fucking, uh, the cops stayed there at their house and answered the phones from all the drug takes. And when you would come to buy the coke, they would arrest you. It was a hell of a story in Boulder. But the Markleys, when I was doing time with them, and then they sent the, the father and the brother together in discovery, in court, they found out that the father was having an affair with his wife while he was at work. So I live with my wife in your house. You're my dad. You live upstairs. You're single. My mom died. And when I'm at work, you come down and fuck my wife. Wow. Holy shit. So they wow. tried to break them up for them to testify against each other. Of course. And wow. now I'm doing time with them. And they're not talking to each other. 
It's two different fucking worlds. I mean, they put that shit in there where this, this is blood, and now they hate each other. It was fucking, it's a, I'm happy I did it. I never got really in trouble again after that. I never got to prison again or anything. Yeah. But it was an education, and it let me know I didn't what I didn't want to do. Yeah. yeah you, because, that's... listen, prison, anybody could do prison here. We could all do it with our eyes. It's just time. You got a book. You do push-ups. You eat. You mind your business. The problem with all that shit is that I forgot what I was going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, stop smoking pot. Comedy. No, no. We could all do prison. We could all do time. The problem is they fuck with your manhood. Mm. I'm telling you, though, I'm, I'm sitting here with you guys telling you we had a great time in there. Yeah. If I had to do it again today, I would do it for the 90 days. I don't know if I could do it longer. It was a great break. Yeah. But they judge, they fuck with your manhood. Yeah. How's okay. that? You're talking about the COs or the, the other? COs. Oh, yeah, yeah. Telling you what to do. I walk into your room at 7 in the morning, I kick the bed and tell you to wake the fuck up, bitch. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's like you don't ever want to be a man and have somebody do that. Yeah, to you. and that's you cannot not, do anything because you want to get out of there. It anything. weighs on you. Yeah, yeah. There's little things, you know. It's been 30 years since I was in there, but that's the most thing that stuck out in my mind. Mm. That they try to take away your manhood. Mm. You know, like get up, bitch, stupid, that type of shit. Yeah. And if you swing back, then you get more time. Yeah. You know, and then you have the longest yard, right? Adam Sandler said, uh, Burt Reynolds said, was it worth? You smacking him, and he goes, all right, put my fucking shoe back on. And he went in at the end of the longest yard. That's what how it was. You know, you have to decide what's important to you. Mm. Did you fight? Like, what was that first I fight? got one fight in there. I got into maybe two. I got into an argument with a good friend of mine in the AIDS unit, and we pushed each other around. And then that's funny you said that there was a white dude, like a, a bald, he was, he was like a, not a biker, he was like in the middle. What do you call those guys? Like... They just hate, they hate minorities, yeah, right, yeah. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> he had long hair and shit, and uh, he used to fuck with me. He worked in the kitchen. So instead of me beating him up, I took, I, I was a stock clerk in the kitchen, they, and they used to have that welfare American cheese. So one day I took the cheese out of there, and I took a shit in that motherfucking box, and I put a little American flag on the top, and I put the box, and I put it in his drawer, and put the clothes on top of it, and he would always go, anybody else smell shit in my room? I'm going to find it. And then one day, he actually found the box. When I took the shit, it was like 19 inches. When he found it, it was like three inches. <laughs> like, it was like a skeleton. It burned off. It burned <laughs> off. And that room smelled like death. He was breathing that shit in, too. I, I feel bad. He's not alive today. That's, that's worse than yeah. that 9-11 dust. <laughs> breathing my shit. That motherfucker's eligible for fucking bro, payments and shit. You got another body, bro. That's crazy. Yeah. So he knew I put the shit in the thing. Yeah. And he would always give me grief when he was in front of his friends. Sure. When I was with my friends, he wouldn't say nothing. But so there was, a, there, was a room, there was a room where we would play cards in. Yeah. It was a combination laundry room. And one day, I got I to gotta say something to this guy. Because he, like, he was always tough when he was around his buddies. Mm. But I knew that if I took my buddies, we could fuck up his buddies. Yeah. Because I had the brothers with me. So yeah, I knew yeah. we could fuck up his friends. Because I had two brothers that were my brothers in real life. There were two African-American kids that were my brothers. One was name was Spencer Antoine. He's dead. I check up with him on time to time. That motherfucker stabbed the dude nine times and got six years from voluntary manslaughter. He did not fuck around. He was from the jungles of Louisiana. He had those crazy eyes and shit. He did not fuck around. And then my brother, the Crip, told Ray, they were not going to fuck with us. So, But this motherfucker I had to deal with. 
So I saw him one Saturday go into the thing to do his laundry. He had long hair like you. That's why I don't wear long hair. <laughs> and he was doing laundry. I tapped him when he turned around. I grabbed both sides of long hair, cut my hands, and banged his head off the fucking wall 15 fucking times. And then I punched him really hard. Now I went to my friends and told them what had happened. And I go, they're going to retaliate. He never said a word. Mm. Wow. And that was it. I got out of there. And then everything was cool. Wow. And you never got clipped for that? Never solitary, nothing? Nothing. Wow. Okay, so you go. Fascinating. How far are we from you not trying stand-up, but being good at stand-up and then becoming this kind of mythical figure in the store? Oh, 15 years later. 15 years later. Stop again. I got to pee. Go. <laughs> Ask me that question again. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> All right, Joey. So tell us, when do you become the mythical figure at the comedy store? Do you even realize it? No. So as no. it's happening, you're clean. You're doing comedy. Things are starting to work out in your career. You're getting these No, I was never roles. clean. Oh, really? No, I never got clean till. After the store, after the longest yard, that's mm. when I got clean. Oh, okay. When, when, yeah, when do you hook up with Joe? 97. That's early. And then how do you guys connect? Yeah, what was the first time you met him? Do you remember? At the store. I never, I was in Boise, Idaho, doing the funny bone. Okay. And there was a thing called the 12, what was that movie they did with the 12? 12, 12 Monkeys? No, the 12, uh, the, dirty, the Dirty Dozen, Dirty Dozen. Dom Herrera and Joe was on that. That's the first time I ever saw Joe mm. with a backwards hat on. I never even knew who he was. Okay. Didn't pay attention ever again. It was just somebody I I watched it for Dom Herrera, maybe somebody else. I was, was I in LA already? No, I was not. I was living in Seattle at the time. And then when I got to the comedy store, maybe a month after I got to the comedy store. Around when is you get 97. Okay. I got to LA in January 29th of 1997. You know when I became a regular? February 19th wow. of 1997. That's fucking... If that wasn't in the fucking cards. Mm. And when I got there, they told me that I wouldn't get a showcase for six months. That's fucking crazy. Yeah. So crazy. how'd you get it? Scott Day called me up one day and he goes, oh, somebody fell out. Do you, you want to come in on Sunday night? And I go, yeah. Do you remember your set? No. I remember I was scared as fuck. Three minutes, mm -hmm. that's all she gave me. And it was Mitzi in those days. Yeah. It wasn't a tape to fucking somebody else. It was Mitzi. So, yeah, it was pretty fucking insane. And it went well? Yeah, and then she told me, come back next week and do 10 minutes. I did the 10 minutes, and it was on my birthday. I think I turned, whatever the fuck I turned, 34 or something like that. So that was fucking tremendous. Mm -hmm. So you get past, and I now you have this home. And now I got a home, which I didn't know. At the time, the store wasn't the store. Right. What it was, was it like? Three people a night. That's right. because 60 is, people on Friday, 80 on Saturday. But Tuesday, Monday through Thursday, 8 to 12 people. 80s was the boom. 90s comedy gets a little bit soft. Not soft. as much care. Mm -hmm. The clubs are kind of struggling. Yeah. But you're going up. I'm going up. Is there still the culture in the store? At that time? Yeah. What do you mean, the culture? Like, was there community? Did it feel like, like no, the employees are real no. close? No, the employees were cool, you know, and we just, we it was a, 
What do they call that when you, when you run? It was a place that was run by the institution. Oh, yeah, uh, run Same by the style. inmates. We were running it. Yeah. Was, we were running it by yeah. like the inmates, you yeah. know? So it was just kind of wild. She would come in every once in a while. What dawned on me was when I first got there, I was going to a fist fight. With whom? With, uh, I can't remember what his name is. He's an older guy. He said I, he was Jewish. I'm Spanish. And I had a joke then about OJ that they asked the maid, and I returned it in Spanish. And he came up to me when I goes, I don't know if you know this, that's my joke. I go, how can that be a joke? I just moved here. No, he goes, you stole the joke. I go, how did I steal your joke? I just moved here from fucking Seattle. Yeah. I've never even seen you before, guy. Yeah. He goes, and number two, I'm not, I'm fucking Spanish. I'm talking Spanish, but, but you're saying that's your fucking bit. And the guy got a little heavy with me, right? And he had a violin. And he put it behind them. And that's the first thing I noticed. If you're going to get in somebody's face, don't put something behind you, stupid. <laughs> so he kept talking. I pushed him. And he fell over the violin. And Mitzi was walking up. And she saw that. She goes, what the fuck? Oh, this motherfucker told me I stole a joke. Because I knew she liked that shit. Mm. Because that's how she made Kennison a regular. I didn't know that. What's yeah, the story with She Kennison? was getting beat up by Argus Hamilton. And oh, Kennison, and Kennison went stepped in, there, in. Busted Argus up. And that's how he became a regular. Mitzi likes controversy. Mitzi likes a good fist fight. Mitzi liked when you told somebody to go fuck themselves. She loved that shit. So I knew I was home. You follow me? When you have that attitude coming from within, I'm home. Because I will tell you to go fuck yourself. <laughs> I don't give a fuck about your comedy club, whatever. So as soon as Mitzi saw me with that dude, she was like, this guy's onto something. He's onto something. <laughs> Where was Mitzi from? I hear all these stories about her. I think Minneapolis or some shit. And lived in Miami, and that's how she liked Cubans, because she lived in Miami for a while. So she mm. always thought, I like Cubans. You said Mitzi would play mind games with you, like she told you to dress up as Castro. Yeah. And if you did it, she would never put you on again because yeah, she was like always pussy. weak. That's uh, crazy, right? She'll give you advice as the head of the comedy store, and if you take her shitty advice, she knows you don't have a backbone you. and you don't believe in your Listen, comedy. The best story I ever heard was a guy named Kevin something, dear friend of mine. I forget his last name. He used to be the vet on the. One of those channels where they save cats and shit. Kevin Fitzgerald. He's good friends with Joe, too. Okay. If I show you this guy, you'll go, Joey, what the fuck are you talking about? That's one of the most dangerous men you'll ever see in your life. He was a bodyguard from the Stones, for the Stones, when he came back from Vietnam. The guy's a fucking savage. Kevin Fitzgerald is a comic. That's how I met Kevin in Denver. He has a great story that he was doing a joke one night about this is your brain on drugs, this is your brain... And what's the greatest stand-up of all time? Hicks, Bill Hicks's manager, was road manager was there because Bill Hicks was performing that night and he walked up to Kevin and he goes, hey, Mr. Hicks would appreciate it if he didn't do that joke before him. Kevin said he went in the back and thought about it and he goes, nobody could tell me not to do a joke. And he went up there and did the joke and the guy went up to Kevin, was waiting for Kevin. Kevin's a tough dude. And this guy tried to be cute with Kevin. He's like, I told you not to do the joke. Kevin goes, shut the fuck up. Bill Hicks heard the argument. Bill came out. He goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. We got no beef here. I told you to do something. You didn't do it. As a matter of fact, comics don't listen. You're my new opening act. And he brought him on the road. Oh. We don't listen. You tell me not to do something as a comic, it's games are over. Don't ever tell me to work clean because I'm going to go up there with the biggest pussy joke you've ever heard in your motherfucking life. 
And that's why I didn't play those games in L.A. Bro, for years, you know how you people you have to send the tape? Yeah. I sent blank tapes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and love when they call me back and say, your set was tremendous. Yeah. <laughs> oh, was it? Because yeah. you get, when you get paid, yeah. at the end of the night, you're looking at a comedy club owner. He's sitting in front of 1,200 tapes, yeah. and all of them got dust on it. Yeah. He don't watch the tapes. It was a power play. Yeah. You send the tape, and then we'll give you, fuck you. I'm not sending the tape. And then when they kept bugging me, I go, okay. I started sending blank tapes. As a matter of fact, the great and wise Chelsea Handler sent the tape of herself having sex at one point before Montreal. <laughs> no. Yes, she did. Did she get nice. Montreal? I don't, yes, she did. Hell yeah. Sent tape. On a fucking, so on a washer-dryer machine. We don't do what they tell you. <laughs> we do what the fuck we want to do. Yeah. That's Mitchie Shaw's school of comedy. Mm. That's Pryor. That's Hicks. Mm. That mental... Kennison, that mental, that's what the store had to offer you. Mm. The improv, <laughs> improv is a great club. I yeah. worked them a lot. I did a lot of great work for them. But that external image, that image, that that's what the store was. The store was for people who didn't play around. A lot of people don't like going to the store. And when I was going there, bro, fucking Tupac had a shootout at the comedy store. How cool is that? Oh, I didn't know. <laughs> There's still a bullet on the wall from when Tupac had a shootout really? at the fucking comedy store. We, that, what's that going to happen? At the improv with all those fucking Gentiles? Ha-ha-ha, <laughs> <laughs> each other. This is great. That's not going to... The store was for rough motherfuckers. Yeah. You know, and I always said, like, listen, bro, let's figure it out. You go to the improv and laugh factor when you're looking for a funny fucking comic. When you want somebody to fucking push your show to the next level, you go to the store. Those are the Marines of the fucking L.A. At least they were. I don't know what's going on now. Listen, I'm not, I'm not proud of half the shit I did. But the shit I'm proud of was I was part of a Marine one time. Mm. I was part of the comedy fucking Marines, okay? Well, we don't take shit. We go up there when it's dark. People are puking. All that little bullshit that they talk about now that they don't do, that's what we did, mm. you know? And it's funny. I met Rogan at that thing. But when Rogan first got to the store, one of the first times I met him, he was getting into a fight with another comic. I mean, it was it was a rough fucking club. Yeah. The guy threw a bottle at Joe or something. You got to ask <laughs> really? him. The guy threatened Joe with a bottle. He had, I got a bottle back here. He was a comic. It was a different... The improv, the comedy store was not for everybody. Mm -hmm. The comedy store was not for everybody. You know, for years... I was telling Joe, we should stab Carlos Mencia at the comedy store. What do you mean go <laughs> off on him in front of people? You have those little mazes in the middle. Yeah. Remember Scarface for the friend you fucked? Yeah. With the fire? When yeah, yeah. That's a comedy store. You can stab somebody in a comedy store. <laughs> they wouldn't know a fucking thing about it. They wouldn't know a thing about it. So Joe's always like, no, we shouldn't do that? Huh? He was like, that's a bad idea, Joe. Yeah, Joe's do a nice guy. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Joe's a nice person. Yeah. <laughs> But that's what it, you know, it took me, I got to the store in 97, and it was the dark ages, man. Yeah. Where you had to follow Eddie Griffin, Paul Mooney. Yeah. I grew up watching Paul Mooney. That's the best education a motherfucker could ever get. Mm. If you don't believe me, go buy the album Race Today by Paul Mooney. Yeah. Holy fuck. Yeah. You know, that that is the education. I used to see Paul Mooney come in with Elizabeth Taylor. Hmm. Paul Mooney would come in with Elizabeth what? Taylor. Son. White? Fuck yeah! What? Who loves white women more than the black guy who hates white men? <laughs> <laughs> and he's gay. He was gay. Yeah, yeah he was a little sweet. That's probably why he liked Elizabeth. I yeah. love Paul Mooney. Yeah, I, I, yo, Paul was fantastic. And then I would have to follow him. Mm. Yeah, to three people. <laughs> <laughs> who who was the toughest follow? Don Barrera and me and Joe always have this conversation. There's a brother that had dreads. 
He came up, he's from Cleveland. He came up with Steve Harvey. Woo! He was white. He was, he was uh, clean. Mm. Woo! You were in for a fucking long night. Really? I still remember Mitzi would make me follow Don Herrera. I would, like, Dom just cry. Don would just tear the fucking roof. I would cry on the drive down there because why would you want to go somewhere to get shot? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Nobody ever drives themselves to go get shot. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I had to do every fucking Saturday night. Yeah. yeah. Go down there and get shot. The main room? Forget it. I never had the main room. My first 10 years at that store, I couldn't get a fucking giggle in that fucking main room. Really? Mm. And I would tell her, don't put me in the main room because I'm going to eat shit. What would she do? Put you in the motherfucking Put you in the motherfucking That's so fucking cool that she did that, though. Yeah, no. Yeah. It makes you grow over the bottom line. Because that affects her show. That affects her business. Yeah. The way customers walk out of there. And she was like, nah, but I'm a, I got to make him grow. Dog, you don't want to date somebody at the comedy store. You know why? Because if you break up with that person, you're going to be following that person for a year if she finds out. Oh, yeah. And she's going to make you follow her mm. just to fuck with you. Oh, so she uh, liked the drama. She yes. thought that it made good content, yes. good comedy. It makes, listen. It was like the first YouTube house or whatever the fuck you call those. TikTok something house. we didn't touch here and I'm happy we didn't was I have a daughter that's 32 and we don't talk. Yeah. She's from my first marriage. I had, I think most of the OG in my comedy was because what I did on Wednesdays. On Wednesdays, I used to have her from two to seven, and her, her mother and her fucking boyfriend would abuse me, and they knew I had the two felonies, mm -hmm. so they would abuse me even more because mm -hmm. they had me by the balls. So all I could do at that time is cry, which I did. After I would give my daughter to them, I would get in my car and just cry. I'm not ashamed to say it. I would just bawl because I strive to be a man, and these people were walking all over me. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I would smoke a joint, but I became a comic when I forced myself to do comedy. After, after that. that, yeah. The first four or five weeks, I would just go home and cry, and I need to snort coke like a pussy. But then I was like, I gotta work off this. Mm. So <laughs> for the next eight months, I would force myself to do comedy after I fucking dropped her off. Wow. And then it reminded me of five years ago when I'm on a plane headed to go fucking do a gig. And as I get off the plane, I got a thing that says Brody Stevens died. Mm -hmm. And now I got to go entertain 3,000 people in a casino in Las Vegas. Yeah. So all those little things come back to help you later, even though they don't as a comic. But I forced myself into dark material. I love Joe. And you know why Joe became a good comic? Because he was the guy that went after the strongest guy in the room every night. Yeah. He would ask for it. Mm. Where most people would go, I don't want to follow yeah, Diaz. The easy way I don't want to follow Andrew to Schultz. Joe would take me on the road and tell me, I want you to be as dirty and as fucking buck wild as you can Beat be. Him up. And I want to go up there. And he would struggle for 10 minutes. Then he got down to struggle for nine minutes. Then you yeah. struggle eight minutes, yeah. four minutes. You know, before I left the store, one of the hardest guys to follow was Chris Delia. Yeah. His energy. And I would, you know, that's the guy I would say, put me up. Behind, really, you know, because you want to test yourself. Yeah, anybody can be the king. Why be the king? You know. Yeah, yeah, Going yeah. Going in, I would go up behind Ali Wong. I love following. Ali's yeah. phenomenal. I yeah. love following her because yeah. I would go up there and say something perverted to her act. Yeah, it was like stealing. You know, <laughs> it was like stealing. It's like fucking. <laughs> she's just setting this up for me. You know. 
Yeah, it was a fascinating time. I remember even watching it from from in New York, and like you come up in New York, and we know we've got obviously this amazing comedy history. You got the Cellar, New York Comedy Club, and even like Dangerfields, Strip, and all these places. But I remember that time when things were really starting to bubble in LA. And I remember when it was whack. Like I remember going to the store and it felt like a ghost town. Ghost town. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, I was ghost like, town. I didn't even get it. I was like, why do people go? I up agree. Here? This I moved shit is there. Depressing. And- like, what the fuck is going on? And then I remember. I remember coming back and like feeling that fucking energy mm. and um and it was it was intense it was it was really intense and seeing guys, I remember seeing you for the first time. I remember Joe being like, yo, you gotta watch Joey you gotta, yo, come 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 watch Joey and um and you there was a comic that we had. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not even going to compare you to anybody, but like there was an energy that you had up there that was like so authentic and so pure. And that's what I've always been kind of drawn to comedically. Like Patrice was my guy. That's yeah, the guy Patrice who I saw. Like, and I was like, that's the greatest. I don't think there's the anything bad. And it was just like, it was pure. It was authentic. And it was just like, this is how I feel. I remember you going up there and like it felt like you had some things written, but it also felt like you were kind of like tagging things in the moment. And I was like, oh yeah, he's just, he's in the flow state. He found the energy and the audience met you. And it was like this really special combustion. You just watch, it's like watching an engine work for the first time. Mm. It's just like, what the fuck is going on? And um, yeah, it was just, it was just a really, really cool. It's just a really cool thing to witness as a comic that was already in the game for a while and to go see something else that was special. Mm. It's crazy. Ah, yeah. You never stop learning as a comic. Yeah. That's the great thing about being a comic. Like before the pandemic, I was catching myself on stage and going, when did I learn how to do this? That's what I was going to ask you. And I would go, oh, I know. 96, when I was doing the triple runs. You know, you think back of all the runs? Triple. What's that? Triple is a guy on the West Coast. He books Colorado. Northern California, okay. Idaho. It's a string of dates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, it's $75 a night. Yeah. You drive eight hours a night in between the gigs. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're the only thing that's happening in that town. And you go to these gigs and they have warning labels. Like this stage could be, it gets active. If you get a bottle thrown at you, go to your room and call the manager. And you're looking at this shit going. <laughs> right, I said, what Craig, Colorado. They had a, a fence up, like the Blues Brothers. Really? A fucking fence, and you're up there doing comedy, and you, yeah. and you, while you're doing it, you're like, "What the fuck am I doing with my life?" <laughs> like, if you're doing comedy two or three years, you're pretty happy. You're on the road. I'm doing it. Fuck yeah! I fucked some stripper last night. I got VD, you know, <laughs> but I'm doing my jokes. You're only getting twenty five dollars a night. Yeah, but for you, it's so fucking real. Mm. You're like, this is fucking great, you know. Like, it's just and triple. You 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 have. A different audience every night. And listen, I bombed five nights a week. Mm. You finally got one show on Saturday. Like the late show on Saturday, you're like, fuck. Mm. Because you're in, you know, you'd sleep in hotels that were dumps, you know. It's just an experience. And you have to do it. Yeah. I feel bad for the people who run from that. Yeah. Because this is a fucking journey. And I, when I was a kid, there was a commercial that stuck with me forever. Penzoil. Penzoil's tune was, you either going to pay me now? Hmm. Are you gonna pay me later? <laughs> yeah, that's great. How many motherfuckers yeah. <laughs> did I see over the years go to Montreal, yeah. get a half a million dollar deal, 
You're going to pay for it later. Bring their <laughs> shit to the comedy store and leave there in tears. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know how many fucking times I saw all the stars come in there? Yeah. yeah. Oh, he's, this kid's fresh from Montreal. He's going to destroy. I see Mitzi Shaw get up one night and go, the agents were telling me this kid was the next Bill Hicks. Yeah. And she was so hot. She's like, Bill Hicks, my ass. Get him out of here. The kid was on stage. And she's like, get him out of here. Wow. Bill Hicks, my fucking ass. You're going to sell. It was just, you know, it, you have to put the work in. Yeah. If you're going to go to L.A., you better have all your fucking pools in. Yeah. Okay? And yeah. you know everything. I don't give a fuck what they tell you anymore. You know, listen, I wish I would have just stuck with stand-up over the years and be the best I could. But the podcast game came. I always wanted to work in TV and film. Yeah. You know, we have to switch fucking hats from time to time. Now, I'm not doing a podcast no more, you know. Yeah. I canceled it. Yeah. And now I'm not doing stand-up. But I know that by me doing this this summer... It'll push me back to get on stage. You got a little itch, huh? Yeah. I got an itch, but I don't want to sell tickets. I want to come to your show, yeah. do 10 minutes and leave. Oh, uh, dude, you, you are fun. always not, 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 not your show when you're doing a stage show. I'm talking about when you do your monthly night at the New York Comedy yeah, Club yeah, 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 or yeah. the cellar. I don't, I don't like dates over my head. Yeah, yeah. People, I was telling your brother over here how hard it was for me to live in L.A. Number one, it was the 23 toughest years of my life, and I didn't know it until I got pulled out of it. Wait, why? Because I can't be around those people. Mm. Jews? No, <laughs> I love Jews. I can't be. You know, I watched your movie. You were in a movie. Yeah. And I really watched the movie. Which I enjoyed one? it. Which you one? people. Oh, it was horrible. I really enjoyed the movie. <laughs> I'm an Eddie Murphy guy. I'm an Eddie Murphy. That's why I did the guys. movie. I, I'll take Eddie. I even watched Pluto Nash. Okay? Yeah, 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 I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm Eddie. Mm -hmm. I'm Eddie. Eddie opened up my eyes yeah. to a gift, and I repay him now. Yeah. I'm Eddie. I like that movie, but I had to turn it off the first time. Midway in, I was getting anxiety. Julia Dreyfus was giving me anxiety out the ass. Wait, why? Because she was so L.A. Uh, oh, the nothing, nothing bothers me more. Mm. Nothing than this. these words, I'm going to tell you. So where are you from, Joey? Cuba. Uh -huh. I love Cuban people and the culture. Um, I've been to a ton of your parties. I've never seen a spick at none of them. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> All right? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Knock it off. Yeah. I love African Americans. Yeah. Yeah. How come I don't see you patois yeah. with African Americans? Don't lie to me. Because yeah. we know. Yeah. We know. I, I know. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know. Just watching her reminded me of my 23 years in LA. I had to turn it off. Hmm. And that's what you don't want your daughter to be. Not even fucking close. That's why you got to get her that, out. You just said it yourself. Yeah. I'm authentic up there. Mm -hmm. I work to be authentic. Yeah. I don't ever want you to go, ooh, he's throwing a curveball at us to yeah. lie to us. Or, no. Yeah, yeah. I, I want you to, I want to be honest with you. I've never put a pair of sunglasses on. Yeah. I want you to see my fucking eyes. Mm. Yeah. I don't wear sunglasses at all. I don't give a fuck. What the moon is going to hurt your eyes? Go fuck yourself. Yeah. That's a huge yeah. fucking pussies. Yeah, it, is, it is interesting, though, because there are, and listen, people people are fake everywhere. Like, we have this thing in New York, like, there's no fake New Yorkers. Like, I think sometimes what we do is we try to keep it so real that that's also fake. That's you know also I mean? fake. So, like, everybody has their fakeness. But, fake. but there's an inauthenticity. Like, I think growing up here, I never learned how to do small talk. So I don't know Chit -chat. how to, I don't know how to I, do me it. Me neither. So like, I, and, and the guys laugh at me because when people try to do small talk with me, I start asking deep questions because I don't, like somebody like, what's up with the weather? I'd be like, so your mom died? Like, like cause I don't know how to talk about the weather. And, and I felt myself in those situations feeling really uncomfortable with somebody talking to me in a fake way. 
And it's like, why are, you don't care about this? I don't care about this, and I don't know how to operate with you. And and yeah, it's interesting. That I you, don't know chitter chatter. You call my wife. I I torture my wife every fucking day about the her friends and the chitter chatter. I don't like yeah. chitter chatter. Yeah, I do not like chitter chatter. I just leave it, the room. Spill it out yeah. or don't say a fucking word. <laughs> but chitter chatter, I don't want to hear. Yeah. I don't. Wanna, I'm half deaf. So yeah. I got to stop what I'm doing yeah. to hear your stupidity, yeah. that <laughs> stupid question that you don't really give a fuck about. Yeah, you don't okay? care. Why are we, we filling time? Yeah. Yeah. So why are we doing this? So yeah. I had a hard time with that. I have a hard time. Bro, I have a hard time with this area. Yeah. When I left here, this is blue collar. Yeah. The people who wanted to be cute went to the village, and we left them there, yeah. and that's what they did, the amazings, and yeah. we're here to save the world and all that <laughs> shit. You knew where to go. You yeah. went to the fucking village. Yeah. Okay? I, I went to CBGB the first time when I was 14 to see the police in 1978. I mean, Roxanne. All right, so don't bro. bullshit me about it. Yeah. I know this fucking area. It just yeah, changed. It has. Now but they still got some, like... Yeah, no, right. last night I went to, um, over on House, and there's a place, Bellatos. Emilio Bellato. It's oh, like yeah, an old school, old school Italian spot. Like, uh, you know, what's the other one up uh, up to Rayo's or uh, yeah, whatever? Rayo's is still there. there Bellato's. Wohop is still there. They're all there. No, Wohop closed, man. Or no, oh, Wohop's not 24 just, hours. Not that 24 was fucking hours. heartbreaking. That's I, heartbreaking. I, I didn't know it was open before midnight. They can have all the shit that's old. This city doesn't have that no more. No, that, see, that's where I give pushback, where it's just like, there's something that permeates the city. Don't get me wrong. There's change, but New York is change. That's the thing a lot of people don't get. It's like, I grew up in the East Village. I, I saw the East Village be bars where they were throwing midgets and Velcro suits on the wall to turn into Japanese haircutting places. Like, I saw St. Mark's completely transfer, and it's just like, that's what it does. Neighborhoods change. This neighborhood used to be nice. Chelsea used to be nice. Now that shit is every homeless crackhead you've ever seen is walking around Chelsea. Like, it's just, New York is change. And when you're in it for 20, 30, 40 years, you see it. So you go, okay, that is the culture of this. And we adapt to what's going on. And we don't budge on the things we don't want to budge on. And then we embrace these new things that come around. So, when I see people who come to the city, like from Maine, and they're here for 10 years, and they're like, oh, it's not the same. It's like, it's never the same, motherfucker. And the people that are strong enough to deal with that are the ones that put their roots in, and they maintain their fucking culture. That Bellatos doesn't have fucking paint on the walls. They got picture with every fucking asshole that's been in there. And there's a dad out there. I like an asshole. I walked up, and I go... Um, and because uh, a buddy of mine set something up, and I was like, "Hey, uh, I was like, hey, doing it's the two of us." He goes, uh, "He goes, he goes, all right, just give me a second. I was like, uh, uh, Emilio Junior said, like, I wasn't trying to be douchey. I was like, he said that there's a table in the back, and I looked at the dude, and I was like, I know this dude isn't the host. Like he, the way he was sitting out there, and he was kind of like posted up, and he had a fucking Patek on one wrist, and I was like, he's not buying that watch just from like seating yeah. people, right? Yeah. And I was like, I was like, okay, cool, we'll just we'll just hang, no big deal. I didn't make a big deal or anything. We walk in there. He's the fucking, it's you know what I mean? He's in every picture with the George yeah. Clooney, this, that, the other. And it's like, okay, this is New York. New York is still here. New York is not moving. It's just changing. It's just breathing. And that's what it does. All right. When I left here in 85, I was going to bars. You could do anything you want in a fucking bar. I remember coming back here like, I don't know, like 88 or something. And there was a bunch of kids on the Upper West Side drinking water at a bar. And I just walked out. <laughs> I, just I might walked. have been in that bar. I just walked out. <laughs> That's not the city I remember, guys. I feel you. Now, this is 1993, to be honest with you. 
You know, I still remember going to a club with a girl and we went in the bathroom to do a line of coke and the doorman was gonna call 911. And I'm like, look, five years ago, I was having sex, lighting my balls on fire. My friend was shooting heroin and nobody said nothing. Yeah. Now you wanna throw us out for doing a line of coke in the, in, in fucking, it was 20th Street by Manhattan Honda. There used to be an open mic down there by Godfather's Pizza. And I'll never forget that. The guy said to me, like, you can't do coke in here. I'm like, are you fucking retarded? <laughs> and not, it's the bathroom. Not only that. It's like, I got the decency not to go to the bathroom. Listen, <laughs> I come back after 30 years to go to Jersey. I love where I live. My daughter's blossoming there. It's fucking sports. The people are great. When Mr. Softy comes on my block, I'm the only motherfucker out there with my daughter. Mm. You know, there's gluten eight, intolerant, there's they're allergic eight to dairy. Kids on my fucking street, <laughs> yeah, and not one of them want fucking ice cream. Yeah, like it's changed. Life yeah. has changed. There's no kids on the street. There's no kids out there playing. Does there's your no daughter kids understand windows. you more now? Now that she's in Jersey, yes, because there's yes. no use in LA. No, but you can find your energy back east. Well, she met my friends. Okay, and, so and she's that, like that uh, was like. She always says to me, "But Dad, you're from another planet." <laughs> she's not wrong, bro. No, she's yeah. like, you're from another planet. You're yeah. from a different time. Yeah. She's become my number one consigliere. Really? Yeah. How old is she now? 10. And you're going to her for advice already? Yeah. Okay. The other day I said something to her. She goes, what's the matter with you today? I go, you know what, man? I had to tell somebody. I, nah, she doesn't curse. But I go, I had to tell somebody to go fuck themselves and it didn't feel good. And she looked at me and she's like, you know what, Dad? Every once in a while. You got to do that. No, she did, she did. And I'm like, you know what? She gets me. She's okay. I told her last week, she's like, you don't have to be yourself. Like, I, might, I don't want to do the podcast anymore. She goes, don't. She goes, I can tell on the days you do it. Oh, really? And I'm like, that's it. That's it. <laughs> Argument is over. How far are you from the city? 55 minutes. So it's, it's a little bit of a drive. What are you closer to? Philly? What's like the closest? I'm an hour from Philly. Okay, so you're I go right. to a lot of Philly games. I yeah. go to a lot of Sixer games. I yeah. go to a couple of baseball games. I've been to a couple of Yankee games. Not the same. Yeah. There was a chick sitting next to me with a red diabetic foot eating a pretzel. <laughs> Come on, guy. Go take care of the fucking foot. She put a tattoo <laughs> of a flower off. on the foot. <laughs> fucking foot was purple at Yankee Stadium. I can't do it. Were you ever running uh, Studio 54 back in the day? <laughs> Towards the end. Yeah. Towards the end. I went in there. One of the one times I did go in there wasn't. But it was like 85, maybe. Bro, me and my friend had a big bag of Coke, but we ran out of money for drinking. And we're like, what the fuck are we going to do? And I looked down, there's a $100 bill. I'm like, Dad, damn, there's a God up in the fucking sky. <laughs> I wanted to ask you a comedy question. When did you, when were you like, oh, I'm good at this? And what, because your style is going to be very unique to what we think comedy is. Guy back then in a suit telling jokes. Your shit was completely different. When were you like, oh, I'm fucking good at this, and I figured out how to be authentic on stage? I was like you guys. I was doing jokes. You know, you're doing jokes. You guys remember the vagina monologues? Yeah. Okay. I was like 98, yeah. 99, maybe 2000. I wanted something for us. Mm -hmm. uh, and the belly room had this, you know, they always said, take the belly room over. Yep. So I, I called it testicle testaments. Okay. <laughs> And what I wanted for people to do was to go up there and tell a story of when they knew they became a man. Hmm. Not when you fucked your neighbor, not when you beat up your, the school principal. Something happened, a death of a parent, something, a cat. I don't know, whatever. But be honest. And a lot of people, I had dice, 
Jay Moore and Ed Scott Wolf. Everybody would go down there and tell a story that you would just fucking get blown away from. Jay Moore told the story of when he got caught with the NyQuil in Canada. You know, Andrew Dice Clay told the story about when he cried on the Arsenio show. Just so many different stories. And I went up there and told the story, but when at the end of the story I realized nobody laughed. And that's a complete different muscle, mm. especially coming from where coming from. Mm. Can you imagine going up there and nobody fucking laughs? Yeah. yeah. But you still had a good time. That taught me, like, the control that I, I got somewhere else with my comedy. Like, I could, and then I, I got infatuated with going on stage and actually making people cry for a while. Huh. Telling them a story. That's how I started telling stories about my mother, mm. finding my mother dead. You know, I started telling sad stories just to see how far you could push it and not hearing laughter, being comfortable with no laughter. Yeah. Right. The thing that we are trained not to like. By doing that, being comfortable and non-laughter, it gave you more patience and it taught me to tell stories and it, it built confidence. That confidence builder was bigger than Huge. following Paul Mooney. Mm -hmm. That confidence builder, when you... No, you could go up there because as a comic, we're programmed from the time we hit, we got to fucking make them laugh. The laughter becomes your confidence. Dude, so without it, you're devoid of confidence. This dude. guy, for the long, we would start and he'd be just comfortable in these silences. And he always had a good punchline at the end of the silence. That's but I remember looking at that and early on being like, fuck. And for the longest, I feel like I'm start, I've started to get there in the past couple of years, but for the longest, I was like, man, I don't know how the fuck he does that. But there was a confidence it takes where it's like, I know I'm funny enough that even I in the take silence, the pause. Yeah, on that, the back end, I'll get you. The pause is- But you've had that since fucking year two yeah, or whatever. The pause is, I, always, I thought the pause was the steroids. Like yeah. learning how to manipulate that pause and hold that tension and like stretch it out as far because you're going to get the payoff in the back end. But your discomfort in the pause is what's going to- cripple the audience mm. the second they feel you're uncomfortable you're in that post but if they feel like if you they feel it. like you're up to something you own it oof. They, they'll take the ride with you they will yeah yeah it's really weird what you learn up there and that's the other thing why i stopped doing comedy the way i liked it when i didn't get paid huh when i started getting paid is when it become a pain in the fucking ass really and that's what i wanted to go back to now I tell people when they offer me gigs and I go, do me a favor, call me when I've done 20 gigs without getting paid. Because it became something that I loved so much. It became something that I only didn't want to do to get paid. And that's not good. Hmm. I was still doing free sets in LA, but I really got addicted to that check on a Saturday night. Yeah. Hmm. And it got to the point that I cared about my material, I cared about my performance, but once I got that check, the week is over. I'm going home, you know? And it became like, I didn't even, I was just going through the motions to get that check. Yeah. And when the pandemic came, I'm like, I don't even like leaving the fucking house anymore. Yeah. And now, every time I do book a gig and I'm getting money, I, I feel uncomfortable because I don't know what I feel like doing on that fucking day. Mm. You know, I'm to a point in my life where it was getting old for me the last three or four years mm -hmm. because every time I would book something, I'd get a call an hour later on something I would like a dance with my daughter or something important that I thought would be important for me. It would always happen after I booked a gig and that gave me too much anxiety. Mm -hmm. I got sick and tired of waking up in the morning with anxiety going, fuck, I gotta go to the comedy store tonight and do two shows, mm -hmm. god damn it. I was the type of guy I didn't like being home. I couldn't even, 
dream of not doing comedy. For first time I took a week off was 14 years in. Wow. Wow. Rogan talked me into taking a week off and it almost killed me. Hmm. It was it almost killed me. Why would you do? I just snorted coke the whole fucking week. <laughs> I, not, not that, it was just like I was lost, but I knew I needed that breather. Yeah. I took my first breather when I booked my biggest feature, longest yard. Yeah. Up to date. I go, now I could take a fucking breather. Yeah. But a question you asked earlier, when I met Joe Rogan, he was on news radio. Yeah. I didn't fucking know what news radio was. Yeah. I was on stage every night. Yeah. If a comic knows a TV show, they know. You're fucking stage. up. Yeah. You shouldn't know what's on TV at all. Yeah. Because from 7:45 on, you should be out at night. You should be out. So I didn't know. I didn't watch TV for years. Yeah. I didn't I didn't even know what NYPD was till I got to LA. And they sent me on an audition. I'm like, what's NYPD Blue? And they had to break it down for me. <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. I didn't know Dick. So when I met Joe, they kept saying news radio. I thought he was a weather guy. <laughs> a fucking anchorman or something. News radio, news radio, news radio. I thought he was a fucking anchorman or some shit. But he was a fucking, he worked on news radio. And, and he didn't smoke weed or anything back then. Back right? then he, he was still a gorilla on all fours. That's what I always tell you. <laughs> you ever see those gorillas on all fours? That's who Joe. Joe was rough, tough, and inspiring really because joe i always love stand up but joe put the love into me like really yeah because he's on news radio he's making thirty thousand a week and he's still getting up and he's still coming to the store after a 15 hour day to do a 15 minute set yeah a 15 dollar set mm. that's character yeah bro. most people get a tv show you don't see him and they no. fucking check out you don't see him no yeah. more not only would he still show up but he would show up after a fucking 10 a.m. in the morning to 10 o'clock at night shooting day on news radio, and he would still be there at 11.45. Uh, that gives you something. That makes you go, okay. Yeah. He, he likes this. I like this. Do you remember when he asked you to do the podcast the first time? What did you even think a podcast was? Well, we were doing podcasts at night on the road. Mm. They didn't start like that. Oh, really? They didn't start in the studio. We would do a comedy show and then go back to his hotel room, and him and Brian would talking shit. I saw, I was watching, you were on episode 25 of the Joe Rogan Experience. So you're the earliest, because Kreischer was on at like 79 or 80 or something like that. You were on super early, so I was yeah. curious about that. I'm glad you asked how so that So we were doing it at happened. night. We would do a show and then do it at night. And then I one night I'm like, why am I doing this? Who the fuck is at home Friday at midnight? <laughs> 13 year old kids. Yeah. That's who's home. Why the fuck are we doing this, Joe? Let's go shoot pool. Let's go smoke pot, something. And that's when he started doing the podcast. And then him and Brian kept doing something. You heard little rumblings of uh, the guy from the man show. Adam Carolla. Carolla? Adam Carolla. Yeah. And then you had Mark Marin. That was the yeah. easiest. Those were the earliest signs of podcasting. But again, on my end, I always knew this. I always knew that if I got to tell my story, the comedy game would change for me. Hmm. Because I'm a big fan of like HBO boxing. Yeah, of course. And I might hate you as a boxer, but I might watch that. And all of a sudden, oh, I love you. And all of a sudden, they show you two daughters. Oh, yeah. Forget. They show you going up to the Bronx and eating fried bananas with Cuban people. And I'm like, this guy ain't that fucking yeah. bad. I'm going to follow him a little more. So I always knew because all comics have are jokes. Yeah. You base me on a joke. You think you know me from me doing a joke, but you don't know I got three kids. You don't know I put mascara on yeah. and play house with them and drink tea. You just see me as a big gorilla. <laughs> I knew that if I got to tell my story, 
I could do something with comedy. So when the podcast platform came up, I was like, Ugh, it's like comedy again. I'm, I know it'll change my life, but I don't want to do it. <laughs> and then finally I broke down and did it and everything changed. And again, we were doing a podcast for maybe six months and nothing happened. And I told a story about mugging a hooker and taking it back to Jersey and lighting a wig on fire. And that next weekend, I had 200 people at my show. No. Just like that. This was on Joe's podcast or your own? I did it on with Felicia Michaels. I'll never forget that. We're doing Beauty and the Beast. And I was telling the story. And when I looked up, her mouth had dropped. I saw it be the bug catcher. Like I could see her jaw had dropped. And I'm like, that's what we need. Hmm. And a week later, I had uh, that stupid club that they had one in New York for a while. Which I had that stupid guy, the guy, he opened one up out there. And it was Black like- a, factory. No, 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 no. This is like a little fucking guy. He was in the village around here somewhere. And then he opened up one out there too. Where, out there in- uh... in, in Melrose, he opened it up. And he had, a, he had a different room at the time. And one night I was driving down, it was a Sunday night show I booked. If I was gonna get 12 people, I would've been happy. But on the way down there, he called me in the car and he goes, where are you? And I go, I'm like 10 bucks away. I'm like 10 minutes away, I'm at the 101. He goes, hurry up, man. I got like 150 people here. That's what all club owners tell you. Till you get there and they're like, I only had 20. I just wanted made of you to rush. When I got there, there was a line outside the door. Wow. All for that fucking stupid story. And then I just ran with it. How can you, if you guys went crazy on this, wait, wait till I tell you the story when I kidnapped the dude. Wait till I tell you this one. It keeps on building? It keeps wow. on building. And you literally saw week after week, you just start to double up, double, double up. up. Double then up. I started doing clubs Wednesday and Thursdays, one show, one yeah. night. Yeah. Just because I can make more money than they're paying me for the whole week. And we just built on that. We just kept building on that. And then I had another feather in my cap. Ari has his This Is Not Happening show. Yeah. And oh, I laid these stories on that. that. Yeah. And that was it. Mm. That was it after that. Yeah. Those, were, those did more for me than a Netflix special. Really? More, those did more for me than any other special, anything I did. Those Comedy Central stories, again, because I made them cry. Mm. Everybody else went to be cute and to make them laugh and giggle at stupid shit. I'm going to take you through a roller coaster. I'm going to make you laugh, but I'm going to make you cry first. Yeah. So that laughter is a little better. That right. laughter tastes a lot better. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I was thinking about your style and I was, how long it took you to kind of like break through. And I was like, yeah, you can't capture Joey in a 15-minute feature set or the comedy store 10 minutes or 12 minutes or whatever. So podcasting was the perfect platform for you. Perfect. To get to know you. I was, listen, when I started comedy, I was a Rodney Dice guy. Mm -hmm. I was dirty and I was doing right you know, Rodney jokes, that style of jokes. And I have a good friend that you know, mutual friend. And he was doing something uh, special, like when, when they put a lot of comics on one show, mm. they gave him like a 15-minute spot. And I was waiting for him to come on. And I'll never forget, I had to take a shit. So I went to the bathroom and I left the door open. Nobody was home so I could hear his materials. And me watching him and me hearing him was two different situations. Mm. I could hear he had a punchline setup situation that nobody's gonna remember you by. Hmm. If you just go up there, yeah. you know, Rodney was Rodney and he yeah. was older, so he had the persona to get away with it. But if you as a 23 year old were to do that, people are gonna go home. I wanna connect with you. Yeah. So I gotta make, I gotta fucking raise Be a human state. being. Yeah. I gotta touch you yeah. in a human being. Mm. Now I know what I've been doing wrong for 12 years. Yeah. Telling jokes. Yeah. Wow. 
Don't tell jokes. Tell a little piece of yourself. Tell your Let story and use the Let jokes. Use the jokes the way to tell it. Yeah, you know who, you know where I got that uh, from? Following David Tell. I would follow David Tell. I would do the last spot at the Comedy Cellar Late Show. And Dave would go up and he'd have like amazing jokes, but he also had like this personality, like there was an energy. And the personality, like who you are is your energy. And then if they're attracted to that energy and they're into their energy, they buy that as who you really are. The jokes are like this icing on the cake. On the cake. And if the jokes are really good, you're just batting a thousand. There's nothing you can do. And I remember going up after him and just being flat and then trying to figure it out. It'd be like week after week. And it was just like nothing. I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like these jokes are working before. And I was like, oh, I'm just doing jokes. I'm just going up there and Once giving you, them word problems. And this is a process, guys. You have yeah. to come to that conclusion yourself. Yeah. If you try to rush it, I want you to come to it yourself. Yeah. Oh, this is what I'm doing wrong. Yeah. I'm not doing this because fucking. And, and it's not just like, you don't just become a person by saying parts of your life because you might not even talking about your life, but the way you talk about something informs us of who you are. Of who you are. Yeah, I you know what I mean? Like you. you just immediately, it can be impactful. You're like, oh, that's that type of guy. I fuck with that type of guy. And as if those jokes are kind of intertwined with that persona, that's the highest level, man. Yeah, that's the highest level. That's crazy, dude. You won't tell me who it is, that guy? Off camera, you can Off tell camera, me. Off camera, yeah, I'll yeah, tell you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was really here just hearing him and going, there's nothing there. That's what I've been doing for 15 years. That's why I've had no success. Yeah. I think because that a lot of no times- substance there. Yeah, I think it's like people are so terrified of not getting a laugh that their security blanket becomes those, the word problems, the jokes, right? Because they do work, and especially in the comedy club setting, right? It's just like, you've seen four or five dudes, and it's just like, okay, what's your new magic tricks, right? They almost come, they become magic tricks. But that's something that the, the road really kind of exposed to me. It's like, bro, you can't pretend for an hour. No. You know, like, no. you can pretend for 15 minutes. You can get away with it. It's fun. But that hour is, after a while, it's like, Bro, I'm done with the fucking SAT exam. Like, just give me, like, who you are. Yeah. Bomb as you. Bomb, and they'll love as it. You. They'll take it. They, that is better. They'll take it. Yeah, then, okay, you got me. You tricked me. You tricked me. Yeah. You tell a lot of stories in your book. Was there anything you left out, like, too crazy to put in the book? Oh. <laughs> you think. Let me pee and I'll get that. <laughs> the fucking publisher, bro. I almost canceled this book. Wait, no, really? I, I want to hear that. Oh, you I, have to. I, you I, know, I, they, yeah. they're scared. They're petrified. Okay, tell us. What, what did the uh, publisher not want to put in? They didn't want to use a lot of the names, you know, which I understood. So I had to go back and go through names again and see, what the fuck can you put this name in? They didn't want any names where... There were crimes involved with that person. Okay. You know, a lot of stories I told for that person, I, I told their first name, but not their last name. Yeah. And I changed another guy's name apart. And then some of the stories were just, you know, I mean, some of them were fucking out there. And we had to lock those up, you know, just to make the story, just to make it flow a little bit more. Yeah. Shit like that. Like, well, we used to, in 93, when I was in the city doing comedy, I had been doing comedy for three years at that point, and I wanted to come back here. I just shit the bed in Boulder. Yeah, I, I was like, I, I need to walk the streets where I grew up. I need to come home yeah. and fucking walk these streets, you know? 
I would take the fuck. I would go up to 181st and take the A train down and fucking loved it. I love everything about that. My favorite part of this whole city is 181st Street at that time because I would go to Carvel. I would get a dime bag on 174th Street. I, would, I knew that area right by the medical center. There's a Cuban restaurant up there. I just loved that area. So what the fuck are we talking about? Oh, <laughs> so when I came back in 93, a buddy of mine that I was tight with Asked me if I want to make some money with him doing like drug rips. And he had DEA contacts. So he had the badge and the jackets and shit. Oh, shit. And our job was just to go up to that area mm -hmm. and case out drug dealers. And one of the stories that nobody ever believed that me and this kid saw, we were just parked outside of, of a building. like, And we could see people going in to buy drugs and shit. And we were there for like two days. And one day a guy got in the car and saw us. And he went on the West Side Highway. And we were like behind him. And like a mile away, he pulled into that spot like on 90th Street, and he just ran away from the car. He got so paranoid, hmm. he thought we were cops, that he, he pulled over and just ran. And we're like, what the fuck? So we waited like 25 minutes, and I go, and my buddy went over to the car, opened his trunk, and they had two kilos in there. Get the fuck wow. out. Just like that. And that's how I got back to Colorado in 93. Hmm. With that, that money. Yes. <laughs> it never ended, dog. What a great hustle. Just have the DEA outfit on in the car, wait for someone to act wild, follow them until they leave their shit. That's, I mean, perfect. The guy must have saw us like two days in a row. He got paranoid. Yeah. You know, I've been there. I called the cops on myself a few times and shit. Wait, what do you mean? <laughs> oh, in 1986 in, 90, in, in Aspen, I was living in Snowman's house sitting. And my girlfriend at the time went for a wedding that I was supposed to go to. But I busted into the ounce of coke on a Friday night that I had saved for like a month. And now I couldn't leave the fucking apartment. Like I could not leave that fucking house where I was house sitting. And, and even my, I was so paranoid, I wouldn't even let the dog out to go pee. He kept looking at me like pee was coming out of his ears. <laughs> and I got to go out and pee. I'm like, you're not going out there. There's cops out there and shit. I got so paranoid that weekend that I called the cops three times on myself. <laughs> you know, there's burglars on the property, and they would walk around. There's no burglars. The last time the cop said to me, Mr. Diaz, when was the last time you did a line of coke? Please put the bag away. Wow. And that was it. Wow. Yeah, I used to get fucked up, guys. <laughs> Dude, what was the worst trip you ever had? Like, you ever did acid and had a bad trip? Nah. Really? Shrooms, nothing? Nah, that's kid stuff. I never even did that many shrooms. Because when we were living here, it was all acid and mescaline. Yeah. There was no mushrooms on the East Coast back then. Nobody even knew what a fucking mushroom was. When I went to Aspen in 83, somebody gave me mushrooms. And I was like, wow. But they gave me diarrhea. Hmm. So why the fuck would I want to trip and have diarrhea? Give me the fucking acid. <laughs> are we playing around with kid shit? Did I hear that you supplied Coke to Whitney Houston? Yeah, that was crazy. Can you tell us anything more about that? Because that's just an insane footnote. It was like the weirdest fucking story ever. I used to buy weed from a guy. Mm -hmm. Every week I'd go over there. This is before legal marijuana and shit. Yeah. He knew I did Coke. And he would ask me, hey, man, I got a client that could really use your help. But I already knew, like... Whenever somebody comes up to you and says, I have something for you like that, it sounds good, but it could be a cop. Yeah. It could be a thousand things. So I just brushed them off, you know. Nah, I'm okay. And finally one day he's like, listen, my friend really needs help. He's a tour manager 
and his client really needs this coke. Can you at least meet with him and talk to him? He'll pay you top dollar. I'm like, okay. And I met with the guy, and in the conversation, he goes, I need, I could buy like an ounce of coke from you every day. I'm like, okay. But I'm going, to, I'm, I'm doing time. If I get into, I was already into comedy already, yeah. you know? And I'm like, I don't want to do time now for coke. Let's give it a run. I go, how about I sell you a half ounce to start off with? Mm -hmm. And it started small. After about three weeks, I would go, because he was coming every other fucking day for a half ounce of coke. And finally I go, what the fuck, guy? What do you do? And he's <laughs> like, I'm Whitney Houston's tour manager. Oh, I thought you were talking about Whitney Cummings. No, they're here. <laughs> they're here. They're here. I didn't even know Whitney did blow. They're, they're here. They're here uh, doing an album, her and Bobby Brown. Yeah. yeah. So they and were getting after it. They were going after it. and I, But I never saw her. Like, I would love to tell you I'd party with them. And no, 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 that was bullshit. I never saw them. <laughs> then I didn't... They, they were there from like, I don't know, maybe November. And then like in, when is the Grammys? February, February something think, like that. February. In February, it was the Grammys. And I'm like, these motherfuckers have been calling me every day mm. for the Grammys. What are they going to do? They, they were going to want half of Columbia. <laughs> and I'll never forget that Grammy weekend, I was hosting at the store and I went to the bathroom and Tom Cruise was in the bathroom. And he looked at me and he goes, you're pretty funny out there. Something, something about short came out, like in the bathroom. He's, he was pretty short. Yeah. He was in there with his wife at the time, the, the redhead. Oh, they were at the House of Blues for an Oscar party, mm -hmm. a Grammy party. And I, I remember that night I went home and I'm like, wow, the Grammys, these motherfuckers didn't call me all weekend. I went home and the next morning at 7 o'clock, my page is going off. And it's the manager. And he goes, hey, man. Sorry, we didn't get a hold of you. We were busy. Can you get us something this morning? Hmm. It was 7 in the fucking morning. Wow. Hmm. I'm like, God damn. Okay. I called the Martel Cartel. That's where I got my coke from, the Martel Cartel. And they're like, come over. It's 7 in the morning. And at this time, he was still buying like a half ounce, and sometimes he would buy an extra eight. And I was putting a little bit of cut in it, making money off the coke, and I'd take a gram out of the shit, you know? Well, that morning, they wanted like fucking an ounce and a half. And they came to my house, and that was the only time I saw Whitney. Oh, wow. Oh, she actually time. showed up. Yeah. Wow. And she was very sweet, very nice. I didn't do coke with them. You know, I love to tell you, I was there with Bobby Brown. <laughs> they were, and they, I sold them the coke, and that's the last this time I ever saw This is 1990, 93? Ah, no, no, no. I was living with my wife already, so it had to be like late 90s, early oh, okay. 2000s. Wow. And that the was the last. Yeah. Crazy? Why would she show up? Because they were out the night before. I yeah, could tell they you. They didn't even go home. They never yeah. slept. No, I could tell you more of this story, which I will when the cameras aren't on, <laughs> where they were coming from, whose house they were coming from that oh, night. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. And who else is in the car? Yeah. Oh, wow. oh, okay. It was pretty like, wow. Did, did you ever follow up with uh, Matthew McConaughey after the, the Ralphie Mae nah, incident? Nah, nah. He, he never said anything? You never saw him? Nah. No, nah, that was just in the backyard. Have you, have you ever heard the story? No, what's the story? Oh, my God. When Ralphie first moved to, a lot of people don't know, like, when you move to an old Hollywood neighborhood, you'll see a celebrity in that neighborhood. And you go, why is that person here? Well, because they lived in that neighborhood before they made it. Uh, and now they're going to visit their friends. In that neighborhood, it was the chick from The Wrestler, my cousin Vinny. Oh, uh, Marissa, Marissa Tomei. Tomei. Marissa Tomei's sister lived on that block. So you would see her walk with her dogs all the time. And this is a shitty part of Hollywood. 
Guns N' Roses had a garage across the street. That's <laughs> where they lived. So it was by the guitar center right there. And there's a big garage behind where Matthew McConaughey, uh, where fucking uh, what Marissa Tomei's sister lives. And that's where Matthew used to have his cars when he was broke. They're broken down garages. And he had like a, a Volkswagen, you know, those two-door Volkswagens yeah. with the trunk in the front. He had one of those. And, no, not a Beetle. The, the rabbit? The ra like, not the rabbit, the square one, but the longer one. It doesn't matter. Anyway, he had one of those in his, in his garage, and he would come back there and work on them. I didn't know this. I didn't even know there was garages back there. But Ralphie lived on Schrader. Back in that neighborhood, that neighborhood was Josh Wolf on Vista, Ralphie was on Schrader, Nick DiPaolo and Mitch Hedberg were on Sierra Bonita, and Doug Stanhope was on Curson. Wow. This is a hell of a fucking neighborhood. Yeah. And we'd all play tennis at three o'clock <laughs> down by Gorky Park, a Russian park on yeah. Fountain there. <laughs> Bro, on. They used to sell nickel bags at the park back then. <laughs> Every afternoon we'd make, Doug Stanhope would make fucking sun tea. And we all meet there at Gorky Park. That's what Mitch Hedberg wrote the joke about. I can't, I'll never be as good as my wall playing tennis. <laughs> all that shit. I still remember coming to my house with Mitch smoking dope and him telling me about thinking of moving to New York. Wow. I don't know if it's a good move. And me going, bro, there's nobody in New York like you. I don't belong in New York. There's 20 of me's there. <laughs> but you, there ain't nobody like you in New yeah. York. And he got to New York and he blew up like a motherfucker. Wow. That was a hell of a fucking neighborhood. So wait, what happened with the uh, Matthew McConaughey? Matthew McConaughey, yeah. So Matthew McConaughey was one of the celebrities in that neighborhood. And one day I'm sitting upstairs with Ralphie and he's like, you see this motherfucker out here? I'm like, who is it? He's like, Matthew McConaughey. Ralphie had a screen on his window. You could see out, but you couldn't see in. And Ralphie would sit there in the afternoons and go, Matthew McConaughey, you suck. Suck for 15, 20 minutes. And after a while, Matthew McConaughey would throw his wrench down and go, who the fuck is saying that up there? <laughs> fuck you, you got the balls to say it. He, Matthew McConaughey, you suck. <laughs> fuck you. And then the next day again, and then he would start with Matthew McConaughey, you owe me seven fifty for the wedding singer, whatever that fuck is. <laughs> <laughs> fuck you, how many movies have you done? But he couldn't see us, but we could see him. And it was like a torture chamber for like three months. Every time he went back there, Matthew McConaughey, I'm not listening to you motherfuckers today. Leave me the fuck alone. Every day we had a war with him. Ralphie had a war with him. And you've never connected with McConaughey about this? No, until one day I went to Ralphie's and McConaughey was sitting on his... No. Ralphie went because McConaughey threatened him. How about I come up there and beat you up? Ralphie's like, Matthew McConaughey, you suck. <laughs> it was like a broken record concert. <laughs> Matthew McConaughey, you suck. Oh, fuck. Ralphie's a Texas boy, too. Yeah, yes. he's Houston. Oh, right? So then they became okay. friends. Yeah. I go up there one day. He's on the couch sitting there smoking bongs. I'm like, what the fuck? Wait, they became homies? They became like for that day. Then Dude. Ralphie hit and he moved and I don't know what happened to that relationship. Wow. That's so funny. That's, what a life, man. That's, that's cool with McConaughey. They get cool with him. Yeah. For years, he's been shit talking to me. Yeah, and I can yeah. still hang out with you in one day. That's cool. Matthew McConaughey. He was <laughs> Matthew McConaughey. You suck. You suck. <laughs> I mean, really Listen, Joey, um, I got to know. You look back on your life before we finish up here. Do you look back on your life and do you think that you've got uh, all the juice out of it? 
or do you think that you wish you did things differently? Well, one the conclusion that came after reading this book is I got my money's worth. You got your money's worth. I got my motherfucker's money's worth, okay, which I wanted. You know, I grew up with kids that, there's a kid I grew up with, I use him as an example. He had a mother, he had a father, they were well off. And the only thing he's done in 40 years is buy a house two doors from his father. Okay. He never left the block, he never left the neighborhood. What a fucking waste of a fucking life. Mm. And for what, to be a fucking political guy, to hang signs or whatever the fuck it is. You know, I knew as a young age that from looking at that mountain shit that I had to get the fuck out of here. Mm -hmm. Not forever, but just get the fuck out of there to see what else was out you there. You to see mountain time. You know, I got to see mountain time. I got to see fucking prison time. <laughs> I got to see fucking every prison type of time. time. I lost a daughter. I made friends. I went to college. You know, I had a fucking life that I wish I would have done some parts of it differently. Absolutely. But no. Why? This was fun, man. You know, when you're struggling with comedy, that's the best it's ever going to be. Mm -hmm. And you know who told me that one? Slash. Hmm. Wow. I went to the Riviera. I was opening up for Rogan at the Riviera, getting $100 a show for the dirty show at the Riv. And Slash was on the plane with us from... He was on a fucking uh, Southwest flight. And then we checked into the Riviera, and I went down the middle of the night. I had no weed. I couldn't sleep, and there was Slash by himself at the bar. And He's sober. He's sober for years. Yeah, I walked up. To, I don't know if he was drinking that night. I walked up to him, and I go, I'm a big fan, blah, 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 blah. And then I'm like, listen, man, if you could do it over. Like, I was just getting into music. And he already told me, he goes, cherish what you're going through right now. He goes, are you broke? Yep. Do you need money sometimes? Yep. Are you frustrated? Yep. He goes, cherish this. Because someday it's not going to be like this. But you knowing you had this is going to make it a lot easier for you. Mm. And that's what he always said that happened to Axl Rose. Hmm. Axl Rose had a hard time accepting his success. Yeah. And that was really the first guy I saw in L.A. I got to L.A. on a Monday night. And Tuesday I went to walk my dog. And Axl Rose was sitting in a fucking car. On the corner from the night before, I didn't talk to him or went up to him. I don't go up to those people. But that was the first real Hollywood person I saw wow. was Axel fucking Rose. But I thought about that. He goes, the struggle is what's going to make you stronger. And that's what you're going to remember l later on. And it's very true. Like I said, I, I didn't have a good time later on with comedy. I mean, I had a, how beautiful is creating? How beautiful is learning? Whether, you know, the first year of stand-up, I wore a suit every day. Hmm. until one day I did a quick set with a hooded sweatshirt and I got a better laugh. Hmm. But when I got into comedy, I wore a suit because I wanted to be Lenny Clark. Yeah. Yeah. When he did the Rodney Dangerfield special, he wore an Armani suit. It looked great whenever he talked. The suit would open up and you'd see the fucking tailor's name. Come on, man, that's what it is, but it didn't work for me. It wasn't you. But you have to figure that out. Yeah. That journey is the fucking best. When you learn how to go, you know what? I like this joke, but this motherfucker ain't working. Hmm. I got to put this here and come up with something else here. That's the beauty of creating. When it got old for me was when I got a fight with my agent about why the town hall is charging me $250 <laughs> to fucking pick up. That's what wore me out. Yeah. The art of stand-up, doing stand-up, 
for the sense of doing it, it's beautiful. And I suggest everybody do it, yeah. even if they don't stick with it. Yeah. Just do just it one try time. It. Yeah. You know, you know, just try it, just to see what we see. Yep. Before you open your big fucking mouth next time <laughs> yep. about what you don't like about stand-ups or whatever, you know. I've done a thousand things that I don't do anymore, but I did them just so I could say I did them and got them over with. I go to jiu-jitsu. You know why I go to jiu-jitsu? I don't want to be a tough guy. I want to stay in shape. The most important thing, you ever watch something, a UFC, and this motherfucker's talking shit. He don't know what he's talking about. Yeah. Or he's judging the guy. Meanwhile, the guy's never broke a fucking egg to make a sandwich. Yeah. And you're going to judge a fighter who breaks his fucking ass. Yeah. So I found myself doing that one day. And I go, fuck it. Join jujitsu, Joe. Mm -hmm. Now you can talk shit. Yeah. And that's what I do now. Mm -hmm. So try everything as a stand-up comic. Because you never know. Look at what we learned here today. The levels. Bro, I did it for 20 years. And, you know, yeah, we got some movies. And, yeah, there was a little bit of success. But the success I was looking for, that fucking laughter. Next time you go home, motherfuckers, I want you to do me a favor. Watch Cat Williams' bit on Michael Jackson. I remember you saying this on another, yeah. Did you ever see that bit? I can't remember. That stand-up comedy. That stand-up comedy. You know, what, what is he, how does he open up that thing? No, no, I, don't I don't remember, remember it. Meanwhile, Michael Jackson it. smelling a little boy's baby's pizza hole and all this shit. <laughs> he goes off on Michael Jackson, but he did it in front of an African-American audience mm. that was fucking split down the middle. I want you to see that reaction. That's what your show should be like every fucking night. Mm. Half those motherfuckers going, ooh, but laughing. Mm. They're not going to go home and... He said to Michael Jackson, then I gotta yelp you. Yeah. And the other motherfuckers loving what you say. He didn't say that Michael Jackson joke in front of a white audience. He did that in a fucking 98% black audience. Mm -hmm. And listen to that reaction. It's a fucking beautiful reaction. Mm -hmm. It's fucking like, that's the reaction you want. Mm -hmm. When they don't even know what the fuck hit them. They don't know what hit them. Mm -hmm. While everybody else is doing knock-knock jokes, you know, comedy, I read today that it's so hard to make a comedy now, a movie. Well, there's a writer's strike because everybody's so fucking scared. Why are we scared to make people laugh anymore? Because people's feelings got hurt? Fuck, I don't even think of those woke pussies. I don't. I don't. I don't have time to think of that. As comics, we don't have time to think of that. We have to make our commitment and go for it and let the pieces fall where they may. And if you're not gonna, if you're not gonna fucking make these people jump in their seats a little bit, why are you doing it? Mm. Just do a podcast and tell whatever you want to say that they want to listen. Mm. Talk about Ukrainian war again. <laughs> you know. But when you start talking about something different and getting a different reaction from them, that's when you'll see the most success in your life from stand-up. That's what it was for me. Joey Diaz, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. I love you, motherfucker. Hey, love you, buddy. Love you, brother. Thank you so much, man. Thank you. Sorry about Here's the pissing. Man.